Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Retro Mecca podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Craig. Say hello Craig. Hi everyone. How are you doing? Not too bad, yeah. Pretty good. Sort of in the final stages of a wedding planned at the moment so things have been a bit hectic. (laughs) Trying to find time for everything but no I'm good. Good looking forward to it. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, so uh, yes it's been a bit of a a long time since our last one but you know these long series do take a while to watch and uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a busy first half of the year for, for both it of us. Has, so, yeah. uh, so um, but nonetheless, we're here today. So mm-hmm. we're here with the third part of our Macross retrospective. So um, today we're going to cover the Macross 7 TV series and the Macross 7 Encore OVA. Um, and then the final part of our Macross uh, retrospective will cover the 7 plus OVA the 7 movie and the Dynamite 7 OVA as well um, and then that kind of brings us up to the end of the 90s which is kind of like the remit of our yeah. you know of what we're looking at mm-hmm. and, and what we uh, want to cover within the time span that we want to cover yeah. for, the, for the podcast the retro age of the back Russ, isn't it really yeah because once we get into kind of frontier it's into the into the 2000s and stuff and it's just a, a bit too new for what we're going to cover mm-hmm. so we're going to end it with 7 so I know Seven plus kind of ties in with the TV series, mm. and it was just where to try and break up the people because I'm sure people were saying, well, you know, seven plus being the, you know, the little add-ons to mm. the episodes and stuff. So, but now we'll do that separately. Yeah. And encore because it's essentially three extra TV episodes. Sure. That's what we're going to mm-hmm. cover today. So, um, Greg, so you've seen this before? I have many years ago. Now, in fact, I. I hadn't seen um, a lot of Macross at the time. It sort of came out. The fan subs emerged at a time when I wasn't entirely familiar with everything. So it's been interesting to go back and revisit it now, having seen you know all the stuff that sort of came before, and I've you know I've got a better frame of reference for Macross in general. So I was quite I was quite looking forward to like you know go back and revisiting it for that reason, and um, it has allowed us to see it from a slightly new perspective now. So that's been good. Mind you, I don't believe I've seen absolutely everything. Um, I've definitely seen the TV series Encore and um, Dynamite before. I'm struggling to remember anything from the movie, so I'm not sure if I actually got around to that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw the TV series in, like, 2007. It would have been around eight, that something for me. Like when that. The, it was... I think when the fan subs first came out, I think. I haven't seen it since then, but for reasons we'll get into, I didn't bother to watch anything else. <laughs> afterwards from that so uh it did kind of uh yeah i i so i've so i've only seen the the seven tv series so the encore viewing for today was for this uh review was the first time i had seen it um but like you it's like i think i'd seen like macross uh i think i'd seen macross 2 um probably do you remember love maybe as well yeah maybe do you remember love I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think whether when the Animago DVDs of the mm. original series came yeah. out, because I saw that. I, I I saw that. I watched those DVDs about mm. the same yeah. time. It was in that sort of just after the mid 2000s. I definitely saw the original show um, after seven, but I think that uh, my experience was probably very similar to yours. I'd seen two. I'd seen Do You Remember Love, and I'd definitely seen Macross Plus. By that point as well. Yeah, I was trying to think when I saw when the DVDs come out for mm. Plus. So, yeah, so I got, I'm trying to remember. So I think I probably saw 
plus seven and the original TV series all in a very, you know, same sort of time, you know, around those kind of mid to just into the sort of 2005, yeah, seven probably kind of when period, a, lot of, I think. a lot more shows started to emerge on fan subs in general, really, especially the next yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it's been a long time. And, and to be honest, if it weren't for reviewing <laughs> it on the podcast, I probably wouldn't mm. have come back to it. Um, but here we are. We'll, we'll talk about Absolutely. that later. Lot, lot to go so, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, a little bit of background about Macross 7. So it's a 49 episode TV series that aired from the 16th of October 1994 to the 24th of September 1995. Macross 7 Encore was a three episode OVA released between the 18th of December 1995 and the 25th of February 1996. The animation production was by Ashi Productions, directed by Tetsuro Amino. The original creator was Soji Karamori. The character designs were by Kinichiro Katsura, based on the original designs by Haruhiko Mikimoto. And the mecha designs were done by Hiroshi Ogawa, Kazutaka Miyatake, Meijo Mieda, Munihiro Nawa and Shoji Karamori. And as usual, we'll do our review of the first episode to kind of see how it sets up the series before we go into it. So mm-hmm. kind of outline of the key events of the first episode. So rock band Firebomber is playing a concert and members Ray and a very frustrated Maylene are playing Planet Dance, waiting for Basra to join in, which he does at the right point. Maylene's father, Max, who is the commander of Battle 7, is watching from afar when the Macro 7 fleet is attacked by the Varuta, whose fighters are sucking Spirita from the Macros pilots and leaving them in a comatose state. Basara joins the fight in his personal Valkyrie and starts singing much to the annoyance of Diamond Force leader Gamlin Kazaki. The Varuta leader examines Basara's Spirita level, which is off the charts, and orders a retreat. So that's a very basic outline yeah. of, of what happens in the very first concise. episode. So <laughs> essentially, Macro 7 is about the rock band Firebomber. Very much so, yeah. In the background there, I didn't give a music's credit. Something that is different to all the other Macro series. All the music is from this band, Yeah, there's Firebomber. no real score, is there? It's just, just Firebomber's music no, is the score. just Firebomber's music. So I think it sets up the, the whole premise quite quickly because I think actually very quickly in that very, very opening mm-hmm. scene, I think you kind of actually get the gist of the characters. You do, you really do. You get uh, the frustration of, of Miley and like, the fact that you know she's she's yeah. constantly exasperated by Basara being late and not taking things seriously and that yes, sort of thing. Yeah. 
and it just sort of launches into the group's dynamic, doesn't it? You know, you, you get an idea of what yeah. Firebomber are like as, as a band, raise a bit of a sort of concerned father figure almost in some ways. So so you, we were launched into this kind of performance right away and then we get the enemy turning up and that is a big portion of the early part of the show. Is re, it's, it is pretty much following the trials and tribulations of the band while yeah. the... Uh, the Vachara enemies infiltrating the Macross and we're finding out more about them. One of the things the first this first episode does is it gives you that background to the history from Macross yeah. TV series mm-hmm. and the flashback yeah, 2012 does, yeah. OVA to where we are now. And it gives you that kind of history. history. And over time that, you know, mm-hmm. there were the mega road colonisation ships and then that was followed Macross up by these of, Yeah, and they're, they're basically fleets. like a kind of... yeah. Massive battleship that's split into a city and a civilian population city seven. Yeah. In this case, and then battle seven, which is the military part. So they've they've all got like a number designation and and we're sort of following the crew of seven. The head of which is is Max, who we yeah. met in the uh, TV series and Do You Remember Love. So it gives you mm. that kind of continuity to to the first to the original TV series, which is quite nice, I think. Yeah, it even breaks it down by year, doesn't it? It kind of says, you know... It does, yeah. This year, the humans met the Zentradi, uh, which were a race of giants. Then the, the war ended, they were micronized, yeah. which was when they got shrunk down to human size and integrated into the crew. And it's, it very neatly sort of breaks all that down. So this is the seventh fleet, so you know that there there's other fleets there. And this is the 37th colonization expedition that's left the Earth. They're in some part of deep space and they've now met this other mm-hmm. alien force. It's quite interesting that they're after this specific thing, the, mm. the spiritual of a person, yeah. which is like the, yeah. the life force of a of a person. So, uh, And without it, you kind of become sort of comatose, essentially, or just kind of alive without really having the power of speech. That's right. But when they sort of come across and encounter Basra, it's very apparent that there's something very special mm-hmm. about him, which again kind of sets something up. Yeah. You know, is gonna be kind of carried on and developed further in the the, the rest of the T V series. That's right. Because one of the enemy pilots, um, Geagle comments about it, doesn't he? Yeah. He says something about it being a really unusual there reading. And he's yeah. kind of fascinated by it. Because it's like off the charts mm. pretty much, isn't it? Yeah. So um But the one thing I will say though, the the opening, that sort of first battle we see, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, towards the end of the episode, I don't think it's terribly dynamic. No, no. It's not. It's it's a. It feels a bit stilted. What comes later is much is much better. There's a lot more dramatic fights and nicely choreographed sort of battles, even in episodes that aren't particularly remarkable. So I agree with you there. I think that it didn't start off. In the, with the best action direction in that first episode. It's quite interesting because it does kind of set out all those mm-hmm. seeds and establishes the, mm-hmm. those characters and sets that up really well. And we get, you know, the return of Exodol. Yes, indeed. With his, as well, you know. And he, he sort of has his, do you remember, love design with the big brain rather than the more humanoid form that we were used to in the TV series. That's right. Because it seems to take, um, it seems to take, do you remember, love as its canon. But then... Shoji Karamori has always been a bit... He's, he's never really been too bothered about the consistency or canon of Macro seemingly. He seems to have changed his mind no, a couple of times no. over the years. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> cause the, but the thing is, cause we, we get um, mainly references to You Remember Love, but then there's a scene later on, much later on, in the Encore OVA, which actually is a direct reference to something that was TV only. 
you've got to take yeah, the continuity with a pinch, yeah. pinch of salt. But for the most part, it seems to be more kind of dedicated to the Do You Remember Love time. Yeah, right? you know, as we said at the when we did the last part of the retrospective, you know, he's changed his mind about mm-hmm. um, Macross 2 again. So, you know, it's it's now <laughs> it's now canon when it hadn't, you know, it hadn't been for a long time. So uh, That's right, because, I mean, some later instalments took the uh, the route that Do You Remember Love was a fictional in you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So that's to be sort of considered <laughs> as well. But, yeah, Exodol returns and... Um, He's in, a, he's in a really sort of uh, quite cramped-looking small yeah. space where he looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> With just his head poking up through the through the floor. I always find that funny because he's still a giant yeah. and everyone else is like normal size. Yeah. So you see this giant sort of stoic head. Yeah, kind so of he's, um, you know, kind of declined <laughs> micronization. And he's mm-hmm. he's still in this, like I say, this cramped thing with just this, his head poking up next to... Um, to Max, next so, to Max. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd, very odd setup. Really, you do have so. some good comedy with Exodol. Yeah, yeah. I like character. Yeah, so I think I think it does a decent job as a first episode. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it sets up everything really well. Like we said, the action could have been a little bit better staged, but we certainly get uh, some much more dynamic fights later. So that's not really a big issue. But you think they would have went with a best foot forward, though, wouldn't you? You would have thought so, yeah. People. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I, I think they would have. That I think, given that Macross is renowned for its action scenes and its very dynamic mm. action scenes, that was does feel like a real miss on, on the production crew's part, really. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. So, how would you rate the first episode then? I'd probably say about seven. Strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave it a six. Yeah, and the problem is, it's it's difficult not. It was difficult to go back into this without some, mm. you know, trepidation, prejudice about what you um, know about where it goes. Yeah, and some of the feelings which we'll, we'll talk about, you know, certainly around Basra, I kind of got that straight away, um, mm. and I can, and I don't want to say too much now because I want to get into it in like the main review. But sure. you know, some feelings when I watched this first episode, and when I first watched it, came back, you know. Mm. So, so I mean, it's a six out of ten for me because I think, yeah. Basra, which like, so I'm not going to talk about now, but his his character and the fact that I think the action was very weak in it, mm. but ultimately kind of sets the story up quite well. So now we'll get into the main part of the uh, TV series and our review of the, the series as a whole. Sure. So after the events of the first episode, basically this, we get into this ongoing battle between mm-hmm. the Macross 7 fleet and the Varuta mm-hmm. fleet. And that kind of carries on and the Varuta's quest for Spiritia, which, you know, gets a kind of more and more sort of intense. Um, yeah. that, I mean, that is fundamentally the, the kind of crux of it. And it's it's how you know, ultimately the, the Macross 7 fleet defeat the Veruta um, at the end. Um, so I'll start the review by, I think, kind of saying, kind of, I think for me, the whole tie-in, as we kind of talked about in the first episode review, that whole continuation and and how it really kind of ties in with the first series and stretches, yeah. I think that is one of the key things that I, I, I think actually the series does really well. Yeah, definitely, because... Um... We we talked in the uh, Macross TV series review about the fact that um, Max only really seems to be given proper purpose as a character when Milia comes along. 
And um, mm. this show really furthers their relationship, but it also furthers the mythology of Macross quite significantly because you've got, you know, in Flashback 2012, you had the Mega Road, which gave way to these much bigger colonization yes. vessels with the number designation. And um, so we now have this kind of, um, like, a self-contained... Because it was, it was always a city in the original Macross. They'd had a city and yeah. shops and things and, like, a whole kind of, like, culture within the ship. But that was it, you know. There was there was just one place. Whereas now, there are resorts and things, you know, like the the, the there yeah. are actually like other cities and things that they can travel to. There's like a place that's kind of like a sort of entertainment district. There's like in a sort yeah. of holiday resort and stuff like that. And there's this kind of like light sort of beam road that you can travel on with vehicles, like bikes yes. and sort yeah. of cars and things, to go to these other areas. And that's quite a cool sort of expansion of the sort of the mythology. I really like the way it sort of opens all that up from the original TV series. Yeah, I completely agree, because I think that is like a really logical progression to to how it would have mm. advanced, you know. So you, yeah. you had, you know, this initial contact of aliens with, with Macro TV series and, you know, that initial storyline. Then, as you say, then there was like the Mega Road sort of colonisation ships. And now they've grown into this whole fleet where you have like they like say the city and the, the battle bit but then there's the factory mm-hmm. bit there's the industrial yeah. bit that provides all the food mm-hmm. and everything and you know say the you know the riviera bit for the you know the like the holiday destination mm-hmm. and and you know it's a real logical progression um setup of how yeah like a real progress logical progression from this like self-contained single you know massive ship to this whole fleet that are going deep space and they've got everything contained yeah, absolutely to, to go in to do that deep space exploration it's kind of like a biome you know, thing so over it's... the top of it isn't there there's like a and it's yeah you know you have like sort of um whereas in the original macros you had like an artificial sort of sky and things like that whereas they've got their own kind of ecosystem now yeah exactly and that's yeah. that is quite good and they control the weather. Yeah, it's and it's, stuff. it's yeah. just um, it's got and, that level of depth you kind of have come to expect from the sort of mythology of Macross, uh, in that regard. But in other ways, you know, in terms of the sort of you know the progression of the series, there's a lot of feelings in its depth, <laughs> which we'll get into. Yeah. But then you know it kind of creates this really good setup, and then you know as the story progresses and this battle with. The Varuta continues. We get the introduction of the Proto Devlin, yeah. you know this this other race, and we, you know, I like the way that actually it doesn't ignore the fact that there's these other mm-hmm. Macross fleets. You know, we see what happens to right, Macross yeah. Five, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we get we get to the planet Lux, and then on the planet Lux, you know, we we it tells you a bit more about you know where the Proto Devlin and actually their link to yeah. the Proto Culture. Mm-hmm. And again, that that continuation and some background to that story that was started in the original yeah. TV series, you know, I, I think that whole mm-hmm. the way it expands on that and Exodus yes. part, you know, because yeah, he's got this he, of, uh, kind of he's, he's knowledge. got knowledge of the pro devil. Yeah. He's also got a sort of almost um, innate sort of fear of them. It's kind of like he's almost genetically yeah. sort of afraid of them. It's kind of like bred, right. bred into him in because, a way. Exactly, because he had access to that. You know, it's it's a part that's um, talked about in the original TV series that you know there's this history, you know, these data right. of all the history and stuff, and and in that 
it's kind of revealed that the, you know the the mm-hmm. proto Devlin are there as well um, in that sort of Zentradi. Yeah, because he was the history, information um, you know, officer, so, wasn't he? He was like the intelligence guy. That's right. Essentially, Exidor was the record keeper for the Zentradi. So he, as you say, he was privy to all this information. Yeah. So he knew a lot about the past history of uh, the races and you know who's encountered who and what's happened previously. So he has this kind of, like I say, this fear of the uh, the proto devil and, and doesn't really know a great deal about them, except that they are a sort of fearsome enemy, really. Yeah, because I like the way it just kind of expands mm. that original story, yeah. that original universe. It kind of gives you a, a little bit more, it gives you a bit more depth. It, it, it just gives you a bit fuller picture of the proto-culture, where mm. the Zentradi came from. Um, and everything as well. So I, I just like the way it really, really it broadens does, yeah. out I mean, the universe. It's, it's um, a good footnote to the Macross TV series in many ways. And do you remember Love? Like it kind of feels that like it's a, a good epilogue in some ways. Um, you know, that sort of underlining of the Zentradi sort of history and the history of the protoculture. I like that about it. But I don't love the proto-devil and his villains, unfortunately. <laughs> No, and I think, you know, that might be then a good segue into kind of, you know, what we've kind of been talking about. We essentially almost alluded to at the uh, end of episode 11 (laughs) when we said what we were going to talk about. Because for all the good it does in how it moves the macro story on and expands the universe, essentially I think the series then does a really Mm. bad job of everything else. Unfortunately, it's just so long-winded in its approach. So we had a question this morning on Twitter um, from Otaku Nate Show at Otaku Nate Show that basically said, "Did it have to be forty-nine episodes <laughs> long?" Um, and, and we would say you know, to that a resounding no. The answer to that is is <laughs> is a resounding no. When I saw Ant Spell a few weeks ago in London, you know, we was, we was talking briefly about it and. And the first thing he said is that mm. it was over long, you know, and we talked a bit about the structure. I mean, for me, essentially, mm. this is a 26 episode TV series. If not Stretched less. out to 49 like, it, episodes. To be honest, it could be done in less than 26. Yeah. And be absolutely fantastic. That's yeah. That's my frustration with the show, is that a much shorter version of this, I could imagine somebody could put together a fan edit or something. You know, they would actually make it quite a good show in some ways. But unfortunately, we're just left with too much um, sort of plodding. Yeah, I, th- I think essentially you could possibly squeeze mm. it down the 13 episodes. Yeah, I think you'd, I think like, um, I sort of thought initially when I was watching it, at least, at least 20 would sort of get everything in. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, it could probably be uh, squeezed into less than that. And that's part of my problem with it, is it rests on its laurels a lot. It's content to just have constant sort of battles between yeah. um, Firebomber and um, and uh, and the sort of enemy uh, fleet, and you know it'd just be almost like slice of life about Firebomber's sort of uh, gigs and things, with a little bit of drama sort of interwoven yeah. because in the early portion of the series you've got like the uh, the bad guys are kind of infiltrating uh, the Macross, and because they look some of them look human, yeah. Uh, they're referred to as vampires when they steal people's spiritual and they're going around in these big overcoats in a kind of disguise, yeah. which is kind of funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and stealing people's spiritual. And so 
But in these early episodes, it's just kind of like the trials and tribulations of Firebomber with a little bit of the kind of infiltration B-plot. And it just doesn't move things along for such a long time. Now, you see like that vampire bit like, in, the, in the first quarter of the show, I think is a perfect mm. example of what's wrong. Right, because that yeah. goes on for about seven episodes. Mm. Yeah, and that oh. and that is like a yeah, two absolutely. episode yeah. arc, really. But it drags on for like seven episodes. I mean, if they had stronger B plots, they could have possibly, you know, done um, done it a bit longer. But yeah, I think you're right, though. It's yeah, it's not something to focus the best part of like ten episodes or something on. You know, it's 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 quite weak, and you're no. really left with like all the character relationships holding the show up. Thankfully, some of the characters are quite good in this show, though. I think there's a lot of examples of where stuff just drags on, mm. you know, for multiple episodes, True. where it could have been done in, in a couple. You know, stuff like when Basra oh, is singing to God. Sybil in the park on City 7 goes on for about eight or nine episodes or something, you know. it's dread- Yeah, that is one of my major gripes with the show, is that sort of whole arc where she's asleep. A character's completely yeah. wasted, you know. That's there's just there was no point to that. Yeah, but then there's like Gabriel's constant attacks on Planet Lux. It's just like over and over. It's just the same thing over. Like yeah. and Basra when he wanders the wasteland to find his voice, you know, in the latter half. You know, it goes on for episodes. Yeah. I mean, that's and episodes, kind of contradictory, like, as unnecessarily. Well, because, like from the beginning of the show, he's had this very clear vision that he wants to fight. Uh, using his using his music, he wants he what because basically yeah. as you know if you know anything about Macross, you know that music is generally the tool to defeat the enemy. And previously we had Lin Minmay the idol, and this time it's Firebomber with essentially the power of rock saving the day. <laughs> so so like yeah. in the early portion of the show, he's always <laughs> talking about how people don't get what he's about, and like you know he's always having a go at uh, Miley and saying yeah, she doesn't yeah. understand. And then the halfway through the sh- like you know a good portion through the show, he goes off to sort of figure that out for himself. It's like oh, I thought you knew this from the beginning. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> yeah. really. It's yeah, kind of contradictory. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> so there's there's you know there's all of that because I you know I get the feeling that when Karamori kind of mm-hmm. got the funding and and was going to go and do this reaction to. Macross 2, um, you know, and he did Plus and yeah. 7 um, concurrently, that basically he, he probably had this great idea and, you know, sold this this amazing idea and got this funding and, and got the TV station and got this 49 episodes and the budget for 49 episodes, but essentially just didn't yeah. have the story to fill was... 49 episodes. It's kind of like, well, you've got that block, you know, mm. so you've got to have to deliver 49 and it's like, oh, you know, you can kind of see them go, well, we've got this idea and this idea, mm. and but we haven't really got 49 yeah, episodes it's... of content. So um, we're going to drag the, the initial premise that we've sold to the studio, you know, to the TV studio, and make yeah, it I mean, work I over 49 episodes. to me, I mean, that they didn't really have a lot of idea where it was going from the beginning. I mean, even if, even if they did have this idea yeah, about furthering yeah. the sort of protoculture storyline, which I'm sure the at least had inklings of, because that's the kind of crux of the original Macross, they get to that so late in the series that yeah. it's it's really quite painful yeah. to, to get through. And while that did pick up my interest and pique my interest again and got us sort of somewhat back into the series, 
I sort of forgot that it took place sort of. I mean, I remember it being quite meandering story wise, but I but it but I, I forgot that it was really that late in there. Yeah. And it was a slog getting through some of it to get to that good portion. Yeah. Because essentially yeah. you're watching almost the same episode with a bit of different band drama all the time, really. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And I, you know, I just got really bored of it because, you know, Professor Irony, um, he stated, you know, on the Anime UK News Forum said that mm. it just, he found it a real slog and didn't finish it, basically. Um, you know, I got I got so bored of it at one point mm. that I basically didn't watch it for two weeks and and watched. Um, well, I actually rewatched uh, Anime Limited's fantastic mm-hmm. uh, Blu-ray release of Evangelion. So, uh, you know, because it was just like I was just like I, it got to that point where it's like oh, I just I, I, I can't get for another episode. You know, probably got got to about episode thirty-five or mm-hmm. something, and it was just like I just need to take a break from this because like. Trying to trying to get through it was you know I just I did kind of find it it really it is, is just I mean, kind it, of tedious ironically for a show um, that features a song um, with the prominent lyrics "No more wasting time," <laughs> it actually wastes a hell of a lot of bloody time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> and you know, and in all of that running time, it often felt to me mm. that like loads of the backstory was missing, like the the, the rundown mm-hmm. bit of Slum City Seven, which is this little kind of bit slum thing that's attached mm. to City 7 and there is one in the introduction of one of the episodes there is the tiniest little mm. explanation about it but doesn't really explain it's like how did yeah, that I mean, get attached it's... to City 7 when when the fleet was launched initially I thought maybe it was some sort of like result of a former conflict or something because Basra seems to live in this bombed out building <laughs> yeah but it's never explained. It's never explained why they live no. there, how that bit is on there, you know, really why Basra has ended up with yes. a Valkyrie that's better than the actual that's one of my main major fleet of City 7. It, it does mention something about the fact that um, it has something to do with Ray and that Ray was in the military. It, it does. But it, it doesn't really elaborate military, on where the hell it yeah. came from because it's like the latest model and it's a custom. No. So it's it's got custom controls because yeah. he actually uses his guitar as the uh, amusingly as the sort of controls thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. At no point does it make any attempts to explain how he actually acquired it. No, and it's just like so he's got this Valkyrie that is better than mm. the actual main military's got, and they haven't obtained it and you know brought it underneath their control yeah, and given really it strange. to their best pilot and. You know, it's it's just it's it's full of things like that, which, given the runtime, mm. has plenty of space to properly explore and explain, but it doesn't. It just yeah, fills it, does... it with lots of filler. And you there's... know, it's what it feels like to me. There's loads of backstory that's missing, and there's a lot of things with the characters as well, which could be further elaborated on. Um, that just. Yes, you know, we get yeah. so many characters that have potential that aren't really used very well. But when we get to talking about the characters yeah. individually, I'll talk about some of that. But I do feel like there's huge gaps um, in characters who serve a purpose that is just kind mm. of they might all they might as well they might as well not be there. Some of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And then, you know, as as you said, we'll talk about the characters in more depth later, but I can't mm. not talk about Basara. And and this kind of yes. goes back to what we talked about with Jeeg, in that the main, you know, mm. an un, a very exactly, unlikable yeah. main character 
No, because yeah. I couldn't stand Basra. I, I, I absolutely him couldn't well. stand him. Intensely. I remember the first time. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched it. Yeah, and literally like that first episode, I just was what like, prick. <laughs> I hate Basra. I couldn't stand him. Yeah, he reminds. The thing is, like, because when his character, like, with his. Stupid little round glasses hanging off his nose and his hair and his attitude. I can remember, like, people in the, like, that early to mid-90s, like, Mm. you know, it's kind of the time when this was being sort of put together. That was a look, yeah. I can remember, like, really obnoxious people at school and university who had this real yes. attitude, who had that kind of look. Yeah, Yeah. that was the thing, you know, the sort of tiny glasses and kind of big hair. You know, and like I'm, I, I massively <laughs> apologise to anyone who's listening to this who, who has. But you know, I had my run-ins with with those people um, because it, it typically the look carried yeah. an attitude with it, and like you know, and they were all twats to be, you know, to put it bluntly. So you know, apologies if anybody who went by that, but you know, that's just my my own personal um, sort of uh, you know yeah. history and sort of encounter with that so instantly like his whole thing just kind of yeah you know throughout the show he's just Mm. this kind of obnoxious he really is moron um who never really grows um and his whole attitude to everything just stinks uh it just it stinks (laughs) you know and it's just all the and it's just from the first episode to the last episode it doesn't like it doesn't change and and there's no, there's like no redemption, and and the fact that he's just this such unlikable person at the centre of yeah, it. Yeah, because he because like he, he's uh, the, just really struggled with it. He's the sort of member that gets the most attention. Obviously, he's the front man of the band. He's the sort of mm. main singer. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, like he's the one that everybody wants to know about. You know, like all the, he's got loads of fangirls yeah, and things. Yeah. And almost every yeah. single car- female character in the show is attracted to him. Yeah, and yeah. that's really annoying as well because, like, like he has no personality yeah. and he just no, and no. He, and like you know, Mylene is so right, but she—I mean, she's like fourteen, but she seems more mature than him in some <laughs> yeah. ways. You know, she's she's completely sick of his crap from the very beginning. She's always talking about oh, he doesn't take things seriously, doesn't show up on time, he's really wishy-washy. Yeah, um, yeah. and she's like always on his case. And he'll just basically yeah. go in the huff and wander off. Yeah, yeah. And then show up, yeah. like, you know, during the sort of first song. And he often comes in, like, really arrogantly on, like, a hand glider or something. You know, like, yeah, sort yeah. of, you know, showing yeah. off. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and it's like again. when he's in the back. It's just, it's just that, yeah, it's just his whole character is awful. Mm. And it and it's just a real struggle to just watch him repeatedly. On, He's less on, of a radical fire and more of a dumpster fire, isn't he? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then Firebomber themselves getting into. It. I mean, I don't. You know, we normally talk about the music separately, but for me, again, I just didn't like the music. Mm. I, I, you know, I know there are fans of Firebomber, mm. and I don't know what your opinion, but I just find all the music in this show very very average I don't mind I, just, um, I mean what we had a question there's actually. one song that I like we did have a question we did yeah, have a question from, from Coop, Coop and um, he, said, he asked you know what was your favourite Firebomber jam and um, so the only one that I like is the, the the first closing credits music 
that is the only song in the thing, the, the, the series that I really like because they play Planet Dance so much, like over, over, and it's over. And it's a really, honestly, I think, I think it's a really average it is, song. I'm it's... sorry, but I, there is nothing <laughs> redeeming about that song no, at all. It... And at times they play it five or six times. And it's an episode. It, yeah, I mean, because sometimes you know it's it's a main part of the episode. It's it's used in the battle theme. Um, but often yeah. you'll see people listening to it on the radio or it's on TV or something. Yeah. Much like Min Mei's My Boyfriend as a Pilot is in the original TV series. Yeah. But it is used so obnoxiously. It's like yeah. to an insane degree that yeah, there's, there's points where you just can't bear listening to it anymore, for me at least. Yeah. But going back to yeah. Coop's question, I actually quite like Holy Lonely Night. The one that begins with a kind of primal scream. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah. That's got a nice sort of guitar riff and that. I quite like that one, actually. But um, but a lot of the other ones I find very average. And I like I do like that ending song as well. The ending songs aren't bad in general. Yeah, so that's the one that I only kind of would say that I actually liked mm-hmm. is that that song that plays the original um, end credits um, song. But, um, but yeah, but that Planet Dance song... Every time it goes into that opening bit, I'm like, oh, yeah. no, not, not again. You know, yeah. my head flops into my hands and fingers <laughs> go into my ears. You know, it's like, so, like, it's just a struggle that over 49 episodes, just full of music, which you don't really enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's, and the thing is, it's not bad. You know, it's, the, not, it's awful. not that the music it's is just bad. very kind of generic stadium rock, like, sort of. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I would um, say it's kind of like it feels like very sort of mainstream sort of stadium rock, yeah. like kind of tepid sort it of is. charty sort yeah. of rock music. It's exactly not that. really got any edge to it or any kind of anything particularly sort of dangerous or rebellious about it. It's safe. Yeah, it is like kind of safe, which you can kind of understand for a show like yeah. like this. It like that makes perfect sense. But Planet Dance, which I think is the weakest song mm. that they use throughout the TV series, mm-hmm. is the one they then use over and over yeah. and over again to the to the point of like I say just driving you around the twist. To be <laughs> honest, um, but um, so it's got those kind of things. You know, I didn't think the ending was very good. No. I remember watching watching it again. And it's just kind of remind you know as you kind of really see things. It's like it's been a long time. You're seeing things going. Oh yeah, I remember this bit. I remember this mm. bit. It brought back exactly the same feelings as it did when I first watched it because I can same, remember yeah. that feeling. It gets into the last episode. Sure. You then get to the eye catch, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, "Well, this has now got about eleven minutes to wrap up." Mm. You know, and then it just kind of goes out on this whimper, and I and I don't it's... want to spoil it for people that have not seen it, but. It's a very tepid ending, in my opinion. Uh, it's just—I think it's just so weak. It's, it very it just, is. It's a very really, really weak, tepid kind of lukewarm sort of yeah. abortion of an ending. <laughs> I don't know. It just—it just, yeah. it just sort. It does like it, instead of sort of uh, you know burning out, it just kind of fades away. You know, like it's kind of yeah. damp sort of. <laughs> it is. It's just it. It limps. It limps out of. And I get the feeling that maybe that was possibly. Partly due to the fact that more was planned, but at the same token, you need to have some sort of ending, you know, because loads of shows have OVAs and extensions and movies and things, but they wrap up the self-contained storyline, then open up things again with a new threat or a new story. Yeah. Whereas it felt like this one didn't really do that, 
and then going into Encore, like it's you know it it sort of didn't really do do a lot of that in Encore either. <laughs> no, you know it it felt like such a cop out kind of ending. You know it it really felt like they didn't know because a lot of the show often feels very low stakes. Yes, it does. To be honest. Because I mean, the you know a lot of the enemies revealed quite early on. You know exactly who they're fighting. You know they because yeah. about halfway through the th- show, instead of them just instead of Bassera going out, it's just like you know on his own accord. They kind of make him part of the UN and they they create yeah. this. We should have mentioned this earlier. We they create a squad called Sound Force. Yeah, and they basically um, Lieutenant Chiba has researched all this stuff to do with Minmi, and he basically theorizes that they can utilize. The yeah. energy of uh, Firebomber and turn it into a weapon. So they have these like sound boosters and and things yeah. like that. Um, but basically, all of that is just like it is literally the same thing. Like just over and over again. Yeah. You know, they, over and over and they, over again. They send them yeah. out. They send out the boosters. Like Basarel sent speaker pods out in the early episodes, and then later yeah. with Sound Force, they send these booster things out to amplify the sound. And because we we also didn't mention that the the people who have the spiritual drained recover when they hear Firebomber's music. Yeah, yeah. So that's how they figure out that there's something to Firebomber's sound that can actually be utilised. That yeah. it's got a positive effect. And then, and that kind of all kind of builds up to how it ends. So, so Gepelnitch, which you know we talked about before, we think that's what the the credit the uh, subtitles said. So we've seen it spelt. Several ways, but you know, we'll refer to the to the head baddie as Gepelnitch. Yeah, because I've seen like, him referred to as Gepel Unity or something as well. But yeah, it sounds Gepel more it. like Gepelnitch. Ge- but yeah, yeah. So apologies if you know if somebody's we, 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 yeah, no, <laughs> if somebody's we've got it wrong. Then, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that is what was on our subtitles, and that's what it sounds like. So that's the name we're going to use. Um, but you know, this kind of realization, and then. Uh, and they just disappear. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's, um, I just think it's very, very weak. Mm. Um, the other thing as well for me, um, I was really, really uncomfortable with the sexualization of Meline. Mm. She's a 14 year old girl yeah. and she is like the fan service around her is yes. just like, it just made me my skin crawl at times. It's, it is, it is bad. It's episode really seven, when they're on the Riviera section mm. of the Macross Seven Fleet, um, and there's like loads of like panty shots of her mm. and Michael, who is um, Milia, who is a returning character. He, he's her like right hand man. Yeah, she's and he's the like, mayor in this show. We forgot that we should have yes. probably established that earlier on. She's while Max is the captain yeah. of Battle Seven, she's the mayor of City Seven. Yeah. And Amelene is the, the is their seventh child, basically. Mm-hmm. But they're they're essentially going through a separation mm-hmm. through the TV series. Um, but you know he's leching over her through the goggles from afar in yeah. her bikini and stuff. Um, there's all that like like that episode's really really bad. But it goes all the way through. Like Milia kind of tries to set her up with Gamlin, who's obviously a man who's ten mm-hmm. years older than her. Yeah, Docker's constantly hit her. You know, again, a man in his twenties is yeah. constantly hitting on her. It's really it's uncomfortable just, stuff. It, it's, it's just really, really made my skin crawl. And I mean, this show came out when ninety five, ninety four, ninety four. It aired, and yeah. I think that the normalization of like you know that sort of thing, it's it's a difficult sort of subject to approach, but certainly. I'd say a lot of 
more modern shows are sort of more notorious for it. But I can't really yeah. think of anything from the nineties that that's as mainstream as Macro Seven that has some that isn't yeah. like you know for that audience. Yeah, that has something of that kind of level in it because even a stage outfit is like right up her backside. You know, like it's like yeah. really yeah. kind of like tight. <laughs> Kind of looks yeah. like a sort of bunny girl outfit sort of thing. Yeah, and that's yeah. just—it is weird and uncomfortable. It really is. And yeah, yeah let's say there there were bits in this show that, like, episode seven is the worst. Like, that's the worst bit. I mean, mm. that's that whole episode just was really bad. I but mean, it's gotta it's just... be—it's gotta be worse if you're like if you're a father. I mean, I'm not a dad myself, but I think that you know, it's it's gonna really make your skin crawl even more if you've got a child. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that like it made me uncomfortable, but I can imagine if you're a dad, it to be like you know seven times as bad, ten times as bad. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I just it's one of the the, the worst worst bits um, in it for me. I just I just really really didn't like the that kind of mm. keep it to shows with that sort of you know lecherous kind yeah. of audience. Like, don't put it in mainstream sort yeah. of sci-fi stuff, especially a franchise <laughs> as big as Macross. It does seem very off colour. And it feels like a lot of characters are over sexualized, like mm. Seville's outfit, you know, yeah. the way like her breasts are like shown. The Rex the biker girl. Um she yeah. has like a sort of she has like a sort of leather outfit on where it zips yeah. always down yeah. in exactly the right place. Yeah. But, at least, but at least these characters are grown women. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of adult women who are sort of quite sexualized, which is fine. But the whole thing with Mylene is just awful. Yeah, but even like um, Akito, who's the the manager of Firebomber, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just all their outfits. Even um, Zephyrus, like you know how she like. I think all the women mm-hmm. in this show, it's it's really really overtly sexual, definitely, and, in how their outfits and and everything, and some of the situations that they kind of end up in. I think it's. It's really, really um, misogynistic at times, this mm. show, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, It'd be it's interesting really... to know who is kind of responsible for that, really, you know? Like, yeah. It's, who it's among the sort some... of design sort of focused on that aspect of it and things? It's I don't really yeah. know enough about the background of production or who would have been no. responsible for these things. You know, there's a bit of an element, if you look at, and, and it's not unique to Macro 7, I think if you look at Plus, which was as we said, was running concurrently, mm-hmm. some of the situations and girls. And now I think even in the original TV series, mm. there's elements kind of yeah. to it. But I don't think it's as just in as your face. front and centre and in your face. And It's it's very much apparent. Ingrained. Kind of not, yeah. yeah, it's ingrained into the kind of, well, it might sound slightly pretentious to say this, but it's, it sort of feels ingrained at the DNA of the show. You know? Yeah, it's kind of, you've taken the words right out of my mouth. That's exact phrase that I was... I was going to use, yeah. Yeah, they've kind of... um, It's in the sort of makeup of the show. Basically, that is a big part of of the sort of look of the show, essentially. It's not something that I think sits well within it. Um, The Flower Girl, as I called her in my notes. Mm -hmm. Like, what was that all about? I know. It's it's really odd because, like, it seems to be, like, initially in the first episodes, you would think, is this just a running gag? they'll get tired of eventually because so she she shows up in every episode and it seems to be like a running gag because she's always got flowers for Basra but she never she never manages to give him them something yeah. all, always happens 
And uh, then, close to the end of the series, she throws them to him while he's on the hand glider. That's in the last again. episode. The very last episode, yes, that's right. Yeah. And he catches them. And But then, you know, in Encore, you see her again. I mean, some of it's set in the past, yeah. so that makes sense. But yeah, she's still holding out to give him more flowers again. It's just a completely pointless thing that feels <laughs> like it's kind of just run its course within the first few episodes. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> understand what purpose she serves at all. Because I don't think she's even got a name. Um, no, I think, I think she is just the... literally referred to as the flower girl, I think, yeah. by fans. And I don't think she's even got any dialogue. Is she, she, does she no. speak at one point to somebody? I'm not sure. I, I can't I remember. I struggle to remember. Saying, but that probably I can't just remember goes to show anything. how yeah. much she's important in the bigger end of the overall spectrum of the show, you know? But, like, the thing is, when she actually does give the flowers to Basra, as you say, he swoops in. It's not like he even acknowledges her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even like they actually make the connection. Yeah, it's not like he's like, oh, you know, like, I keep on seeing you around. Like, you know, yeah. the, the, there's no conversation between... I, th- no. I think he sort of smiles or... I don't know if he even thanks her or anything. Yeah. He's, but there's no, like, sort of, oh, yeah, it's you. Because <laughs> he, he must have seen her, like, 10 million times by now. Because yeah. he quite often, she quite often makes her way to him, but then is unable to give him some flowers. I mean, at one point, she gets out of the same car or into the same taxi <laughs> or something. Yeah. And uh, and somebody sort of pushes her aside or something like that. Yeah. So she has all these brushings, she has all these run-ins with him, but never actually gets to speak to him or hand the flowers. <laughs> no, I, and I just, like you In say, the, you, can't, you kind of think it's the start of some sort of running gag. But then but it then, just happens all the time all and it yeah. goes way beyond its course yeah and it's like this isn't funny it's just a sort of frankly bizarre sort of facet of the show <laughs> yeah. which I yeah. don't know whose idea it was but they really should have quit it after a few episodes <laughs> she needed to do something yeah she, either... she needed to have some sort of role no she either needed to kind of meet him after you know get through like the court away mark and actually then mm. meet him and then have some either disappear or have some purpose to play with fireball yeah i mean even if there was like a one off episode about her or something yeah it would have been a bit better but yeah it just it just doesn't go anywhere and it just does seem to be for somebody's personal amusement yeah yeah and that kind of really <laughs> irked me um it does it does and then, irk me too. you know the other thing as well, I, I, interesting that you made the point that you thought the um, the action scenes were quite good. I thought the action scenes in this were quite below par for a for a mecha series. For for a mecha series and for a macro series, but what I was all what I was saying earlier was that um, there are later episodes which have a lot better action than the initial episode. That's all I was really saying. I don't think yeah. it's up there in terms of um, the macros franchise in general. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen. Uh, Delta and Frontier, so I can't comment on them. But in terms of the retro macros that we're discussing, yeah, I would say that it's the weakest one. But I yeah, mean, there's definitely. just a lot. There was a lot better direction and action in some of those later episodes than in that initial one. Was all I kind of meant. But it 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 definitely is the weakest though. Yeah, it's not as dynamic as the others because it does focus on the music more at the end of the day. It does exactly, and I think you know there wasn't even like some really really good action. To save it, um, you know, when we talk about the animation a bit later, you know, there's some there's some good little bits, but you know, as action, you know, as battles and stuff, and and as mm. an action, me- you know, mecha action series, it, it um, 
it, you know, I just thought it was generally weak, consistently weak yeah. through the through the course of the TV show. Because the stakes aren't that high. I mean, yeah. so I mean, the the show looks beautiful. Everything's real well designed, mm. and the characters look great, and everything like that. But it, and so some of the battles are lovely, uh, you know, beautifully animated. But it just because those stakes are never that high, yeah. it lacks intensity. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's just skirmishes between sort of uh, you know. The um sort of good and good and bad guys, and with the music sort of trying to kind of convert the enemy to their side, and it yeah yeah it's because it's so oft repeated, it just yeah. lacks any real sense of drama. Yeah, no, I, I I'm completely there with it as well. Um, you know, so I mean, they actually put more effort into it, into like the scene. They they put a lot more drama and kind of like spectacle or try to anyway in a scene where um. Basara kind of like essentially sort of weirdly gives like a similar sort of strange orgasm with his music. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> that was really odd because it feels like they put so much effort into that that it's almost like a kind of defining moment of the series. Yeah. But it's like what? Like what yeah. is all this about? Like it, it's just such an oddity in terms of the, the show. And yeah. but maybe that goes back to what we we're talking before about. It was kind of. Made by yeah. a bit of a sort of lecherous stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that bit but as the well. The amount of effort they put into that bit with yeah. it, sort of, you know, because you have this big energy blast and the sort of clothes ripping and stuff. It's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, but you know, we've given it quite a kick in there, and mm. you know, I think quite deservedly so as well. Um, but. Uh, there was still a lot to like. I, I mean, the the best thing about this show, mm. like, and essentially like the original TV series, I think is that love triangle. Mm. Yeah. You know, between Gamlin, Meline and Bassara. Mm. Uh, and I think that, um, I think the way that kind of actually plays out um, mm. and actually how the, the relationships actually work um because there's some yeah. quite nice character development like through that because there's like you know gambling's quite like stiff you know he's a military man yeah through he's, and through. he's a very sort of stiff military guy who's not really experienced much life i mean he doesn't even really know about music or much no. he's kind of like just sort of a bit oblivious to outside military life really. yeah. he's kind of i wouldn't say he's he's not like you know like sort of massively like naive or innocent but he's He's kind of a bit clueless about a lot of things. Yeah. And the thing is, he, so he keeps calling her Miss Mylene all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then there's this point where he doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and just like, and... and she notices. And it's like, it's little moments like that, that I think mm-hmm. that are peppered through the series that actually make that yeah. love triangle bit quite effective. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, like the original TV series. For me, that is actually the best element of Macross 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, all of the uh, character relationships are quite so well defined. I particularly love the interactions between Max and Milia. Yeah. Like, um, I'll go more into that when we talk about the characters in depth, but you get this real sense, you know, at the beginning of the show that she is, you know, wanting to make her way as the mayor and kind of, you know, exert a sort of influence on the city, but seem to be like kind of independent and not sort of needing Max in a way. Because of the sort of breakup and everything, but then throughout the series, the sort of you know there becomes this like really nice kind of like 
they kind of regain a bit of the sort of friendship and like trust and the relationship becomes a bit more tender again, even though they don't get back together. Yeah. There's more of a respect there between them. Yeah. As you know, it's not just the fact that she's that they're like sort of the parents of the child that they both would do anything for. There's a nice kind of reconciliation towards the end where they become more friendly and more Mm, respectful and appreciative of each other. And I think that's really well handled. And for fans of the original TV series, that's quite nice because Max and Millie were always fan favourite characters. And it's nice to see that their relationship hasn't completely soured. Yeah. I like that aspect of the show. Yeah, like I say, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, it was that love triangle. I think that was the bit that mm-hmm. that I think worked really well because I think, it, like I say, it just feel genuinely feels quite organic in in mm-hmm. how those yeah, agree with you. how those well, relationships, well, yeah. um, the way those relationships uh, shift. Um, mm-hmm. And Gamlin does grow a lot over the course. Yeah, of the he does. Do. Yeah, yeah. Which will, will... he becomes a lot more likable because at the beginning of the show, he's he is sort of a bit of he's just a, like you know annoyed by. Uh, I mean, right, rightly so, he's annoyed by Bassara, but he's also just not the most sort of agreeable like character, no. but Mylene kind of softens him quite a lot. Yeah. And makes him into a better person, really. And that, that whole progression, yeah, that's the one bit they got really right. So mm. I think how, you know, how they expanded the universe and then that bit, I think are the bits they got really, really right. Mm. I mean, there are some like really standout episodes in this as well. Mm. Um I think in episode 10, like where they kind of, you learn about Ray and his background. I think mm-hmm. that's done really well. You yeah, understand what episode, yeah. Ray's like, uh, episode 16. Because he think. has this this kind of military background, doesn't he? We find yeah. out about his friend, his yeah. friend who died in a conflict, which kind of recalls a little, make, makes me remember the scene from Macross Zero where Roy is talking about his dead friend. And that's quite a sort of poignant scene. One of the best scenes from Macross Zero, in my opinion, which... I'm not the biggest fan of that show, but that was a good bit, and that kind of mm. recalled that for me a little bit. Yeah, and there's some really good episodes like around the mid the mid series mark as well, like mm. uh, like 26 and 27, where you get the um, where you see the images of the Macross Five Fleet on Planet Lux. Um, yes, that's definitely the know. most epic kind of arc because the Macross uh, Five Fleet yeah. they discover their sort of fate. Yeah, and the fact that some of them have been converted. Yeah, it's in um, the Veruta have used them as their sort of um, cannon fodder, and they they like forward mm. infantry. That's right. Yeah, because we later discover that Gatmonich's uh, plan is kind of like to create the sort of spiritual farm of like yeah. human livestock, don't we? But um, which is kind of like pretty apparent from early on in the series, but uh, the, the heroes don't find out about it till later. Yeah. But they're just using these guys as kind of like, you know, they're, they're like you say, the can for the grunts. Yeah. To be sent out and blown up, really. And I think we get, we get the uh, Macross transformation in that. Yes, that's well, right. Yeah. It turned into its robot form, which is quite cool as well. Yeah. And recalls the original series. And like that little bit, that little bit there, right in the middle, sort of, especially 26 and 27, I think gives this, it's like this little peak where the, the series you know, actually got really good. And it was, it's almost yeah, it like this little blip. It does blip. win me back over for a little while. Yeah. And then within a few episodes, it's back to its normal meandering self. Absolutely, you know. And it's a real shame because it there is that little glimpse there. And I think, you know, had it actually only been like 26 episodes and lost all the the flab that, mm. and you know, actually was a bit more focused. It's like a ray of... A ray of light in the darkness, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it know, is. I think it's a real <laughs> glimpse of actually how good Macross 7 could have been. Yeah. I think 
you know, if the music was a bit less prevalent, if, you know, you might have even or dealt... the music pumped you up a bit pumped more. Pumped you up a bit more, even, yeah, you know. It was like, you know, more of our type of rock, I guess. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I think there's a glimpse there that actually how, how good it could have been. So um, it's a real shame, but it's, you know, it's not to say that, like, as story writing or even some of the episodes aren't, they're all bad or they're not all meandering. There are a handful that are actually, there are some really standout episodes in it as well. Yeah. So, um, they do tend to, the strongest ones do tend to be the ones that don't sort of focus on the main story, though, that are character mm. and situational based. Yeah. And I kind of like the ones with Alice Holiday, the uh, the singer, who um, who Miley encounters. That's, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, okay. they're quite good. And yeah. there's, and there's, okay. and there's um, like you say, there's the one about Ray's background, which is quite good. And, to be honest, the characters are really all that keeps the series afloat at times. Those character relationships. Yeah. For for a, which you know you kind of expect, given Mac Russell's legacy, that there would be a lot more to enjoy, sort of mecha in combat and the sci-fi element wise. And it's really just a lot of the stuff that's in the background. It's yeah. the stuff that I enjoy in it. You know the the sort of design of like City and Battle Seven and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. No, I yeah I I agree. I agree. So I think, is there anything else you want to add in kind of reviewing the main series, Craig? Is there anything other further good or bad points you want to add? So if you take away the whole proto-devil and proto-culture story and you you know you just focus on how it sort of furthers things from the original macros, not even plot-wise, just little references and things. Like, you know, the fact that we get to see Millia getting her old yeah. Valkyrie and um, you know you you get this kind of episode that's like a Macross celebration day, uh, where you see all the old Valkyries get put on display. Yeah. And there's also that episode where Firebomber play the roles of um, I mean, Basara plays Hikaru in a TV yes, show. Yes, yeah. There's all these like nostalgic yeah. sort of harkbacks to the original show. It's very fun when it's doing things yeah. like that. It's unfortunate that it serves to remind you that Macross was a much better <laughs> show than the one you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> That was the only other thing I really wanted to add. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a, a sentiment that I, that I agree with as well. Yeah, yeah. Not what you want, you know, like a, a short sort of uh, referencing yeah. the fact that its current sort of state isn't very <laughs> good by recalling former glories. No, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, so I think that probably covers everything that we want to say about the main series. Mm. So we'll kind of move on to characters and and production sure so now that we finished talking about the main series i think it's the right point to talk about the uh three episode encore ova because they are essentially three more tv episodes um although i'm not quite sure if they're kind of unbroadcast or they were separate there's lots of lots of sort of conflicted information on the internet about whether they were kind of part of the original production or something that came separately because i've read somewhere that they were unbroadcast episodes yeah um, i believe that the they were later included as part of a later broadcast but not originally yeah, I think they were included on one of the VHSs that that mm. came out on, or something, weren't they? So, so that would have but, been. I think the debut was video, and then they might have integrated them into a later TV show. Because they're meant to be set around episode kind of forty-ish, somewhere around there in the in the TV mm-hmm. series. 
So we get these three, and they're kind of more character centric. Mm, very much episodes, so, yes. aren't they? So in the first episode, the Macross Seven Fleet uh, encounter a fleet of Maltrandi female pilots led by one of Milia's sort of former colleagues, sort of rivals yeah. and colleagues. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is definitely a rival rather than a colleague, isn't she? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very, very, very much a, a rival. And the second episode kind of focuses on the formation of Firebomber. Mm-hmm. And then the third episode is this almost kind of comedic mm. episode where Milia thinks she's dying from a micronisation process yeah, and tries she... to kind of put everything right before mm. she goes, doesn't yeah, she? that kind of goes into what we were talking before about... I mean, by that point, her relationship with Max is somewhat repaired anyway, but she mm. does seem to go to more effort to kind of make peace with him. Yeah, but yeah, it's it is a, it is a strange one that because it's it's quite sort of dramatic in some ways, but also quite funny. Yeah, because it is just basically a misunderstanding. Like she has the yeah. equivalent of a sort of Zentradi kind of cold. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but she because she she's been worried about the micronization process for quite a while. Mm. She sort of thinks like you know maybe she's coming to the end of her life cycle and that the. the the micronization process might actually reduce the Zendradi's lifespan. Because yeah, by this yeah. point, it's only been like, what, 30-something years since the Zentradi War, so micronization hasn't really had a good case study history of how long No, that's right, for. that's right, yeah. So it's it's quite a good premise in a strange way that she possibly might think that, but it's also funny how it's kind of a mix between like comedy and drama. Because she, she kind of has this whole thing where she, um, she basically... You know, she wants. She sort of sings a song to like the entire fleet, and yeah. then Firebomber join in, <laughs> and it's this really big dramatic thing. And then she's actually told afterwards, "But you, you're not dying. It's just a cold." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite um, quite funny for that reason. But yeah, it's an unusual episode. I, I did enjoy it, that one though. Like I think, like the first episode, not so much maybe adds. I think it's part of that thing that continues that sort of link and continuation from the original series but like the second one and the third one i think actually genuinely add a bit um mm. yeah and i think actually it's a shame they rather than extending the episode count it's a shame actually elements of episode two and three weren't actually episodes within the 49 episode run i, ex- I exactly um, agree yeah I really do because it, you know these are good portions of the show which could have been filled in with some of those more meandering episodes I mean, there's there's some stuff in here in these three episodes I would have liked to have seen more of, mm. which I know you know is very contrary to what we've been talking about with the TV series. I really want to know more about Zephyrus's backstory because the one of the episodes has a lot of Zephyrus. It gives you a lot yeah. of glimpses into Zephyrus's backstory. Yeah, because she essentially doesn't really fulfil much of her role in the series apart from being Firebomb's drummer. Yeah, she has a bit of a silent Bob thing going on where she sometimes sort of speaks at an important yeah. time and yeah. dispenses advice, <laughs> but most of the time she's just stoic and drumming on things. Um, yeah. So, but we get this weird sort of like and really intriguing backstory where she seems to have had some sort of Zentradi rival who's like a physical rival that she's having some sort of fight with, who yeah. they're actually both in love with each other. And um, that's an interesting story, but we only see a glimpse of it. Yeah. We only yeah. see what essentially seems like the end of it. And then we also find out she's a traveling circus performer as well. Yeah. And she was like yeah. a knife thrower and, you know, did all these deadly stunts. 
And it's it's like a fascinating glimpse into Zephyrus's backstory, but there's not enough of it. Like I was I was left really disappointed thinking I wish they'd expanded on this because she was such a non character in the show. Yeah. I absolutely because Zephyrus is like because like she you knows she's drumming and she's like every drummer I know always drumming. But she she really feels like a side character in mm. um She's almost you know, presented as a little bit artistic in a strange way. Like she, was, she almost seems like obsessed to a crazy degree with drumming to the yeah, point where she yeah. does nothing else. She'll she'll be drumming on her hand or in the back of somebody's car seat or you know on the, yeah. on the window at one point. <laughs> but I feel though they the creators felt they had to have a full Zentradi character in Firebomber because mm. you've yeah. got Milene who's the who's half Zentradi and then yeah. two you know Bowser and uh, uh, Ray who are you know, pure humans. So you, yeah, it I, makes I sense from a point include, of view of they had to the whole integration him. of the Zentradi. Yeah. Like to have a Zentradi band member, you're absolutely right. But then not to do anything with her because she, I think she talks more in how she looks than and you know facial expression and and stuff mm. than than in words. In a sort you of know, physique and everything, she's quite a. Tomboyish look to her. Yeah, and she'll she'll look. Something will happen, and she'll dart a look at someone mm. or something. And you know, there'll be a bit of body language from her that kind of she's yeah. essentially saying something without saying it, and then she yeah, she'll like, she'll say, look at somebody, and it'll be something along the lines of "You went too far there," or that was yeah, a bit, yeah, you know, or or she'll sort of um, look quizzical when something interesting's mentioned yeah. that she didn't know about that sort of thing. Then she kind of says a few things, like when she she really feels she needs to say something. But she might, I mean, she might have like three lines in the whole something like that, yeah. You know, so yeah, because she is she is a bit of an odd character because the way she like she doesn't get her own Valkyrie. She pilots with Ray, you know, she co-pilots with Ray, sort of thing. She she feels like this like they genuinely like didn't really know what to do with her. Yeah, it's almost like. A sort of, uh, she needs to sort of, it's almost like, um, you know, you see, you see all these sort of bigoted people online talking about box ticket exercises for uh, for certain sort of minorities and things and yeah. all. And you, well, you, it it's almost like, like a Zentradi yeah. version of that, you yeah, know, from that just... sort of closeted, like, closeted, from that sort of narrow-minded point of view. Yeah. Of, or they just had to put a Zentradi in there somewhere. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> absolutely, for me, just feels like they had to have a Zentradi, full Zentradi character. But and it makes sense in terms of the universe and, you know, the fact that they're all integrated into society, but I wish they'd done more with her. Yeah, they, I wish they'd done more with her. I think there was loads more that can, could have been done, but... Um, Especially since yeah. I did find that stuff that you glimpsed interesting in Encore. Mm. Shame they didn't do anything with that. Because there's more stuff like in, in episode two of Encore where you see a bit more about um, Basra when he's a boy, and it's kind of, you see mm. a little bit of that when Ray meets Bowser in the TV series, but it's expanded upon in mm. in this encore episode, and it, again, it kind of feels like it should have been an integral part of the main TV series. Yeah, absolutely. I find that bit very frustrating because it teases more than it resolves. Yeah, it's it's kind of like here's a little bit more of Ray and uh, Bowser's backstory, but it's not a particularly meaningful part of the backstory. Yeah. Like it's it would be if they expanded on certain factors more, but essentially you just kind of get the story of how they met really in in, in real time instead of just re-relating it to somebody. Because I think he does mention briefly 
something about finding Basara in the TV series or something. Yeah, because there is there so is a, there is a little bit of it, place. but it's not expanded. I mean, this bit expands more, and it, it goes back to what we said in the main review that you know there's there just feels like there's lots of stuff missing from the story that. Mm. Yeah, that should you know within a forty nine episode Absolutely. TV series should have been there, and and this is and this is a good example of like they've expanded on it here, and it's absolutely should have been included, but it still doesn't give you the full like you can just tell there's more to it. Yeah, um, you know, so because mm. uh, because you see Basara singing at this mountain in flashback a couple of times towards yeah. the end of the show, don't you? And then, yeah, exactly. And then he's and he's a young boy, but you don't really know what that's about, and then you get a little bit more of that in this, but again. Not massively cemented that, you know, the reason why he used to sort of sing this song out in the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> it's <And> just, it... <laughs> it's not massively, you know, important in the bigger scheme of things. And you're left thinking, right, could you not have actually, you know, spent this episode making a meaningful bit of backstory between um, Ray and Basser rather than just he found this kid? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's really all it does. It just sort of fills in the chronology but doesn't really further the relationship massively to me. It's yeah, it's just like one of those bits that's I yeah, it's just one of those missing. I think it's it it should have been just expanded on much much more. So yeah, so encore is like I think is like a useful kind of expansion of the of what's in the main mm. TV series. Um, you know, it kind of broadens out a little bit more, but it's it's just a shame that it's another three episodes. You know, not. Not just something that's yeah. integrated into the main runtime. Mm, I wish they'd integrated it in the main series, and I also wish they'd just filled in some of those gaps because, mm. to me, it's almost, in some ways, it's it's almost worse because of the fact that you know the they tease you with more things. Yeah, there yeah, that's it's like, and, that's the point. And it's I was frustrating just because they yeah. they spend so much time meandering in the actual show. Yeah, and. He had some stuff up the sleeve which actually could have made for interesting standalone episodes. Yeah, definitely. It does. It. I completely agree. It, it teases a little bit more, and you think, oh, actually, so there could have been a bit more to this or whatever. Um, mm. And then they don't. <laughs> and they then they still don't fully Follow deliver it on it. Yeah, you know, they yeah, still exactly, don't fully yeah. deliver on it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it is super frustrating in that respect. It really I mean, is. the episode about this about the Zentradi Meltan uh, rebels, you know, the ones that were uncultured, mm. again, that served to underline just how much I didn't like the proto-devil and that much as villains. Yeah. And I love the Zentradi as villains because it just brings back that whole kind of, you know, the sort of cockiness of the Zentradi and the kind of rivalry between some mm. of them and the fact that there's a lot of infighting between them and a lot of stuff about, like, the military and respecting, you know, your sort of superiors and things. And there's a lot of, like tension in the ranks and stuff a lot of that stuff is good in the tv show and there's entirely just better characters than the proto-devil and as much as i like the way the protoculture mythology's expanded yeah it just it served to remind me how much i didn't like the proto-devil yeah. <laughs> they were kind of odd villains weren't they um they don't really massively fit to to macros for me like you know no. the, the creature designs aren't even that good no. valgos looks okay but like Gabble looked rubbish, yeah. and so did, and those sort of things towards the end of the show with all the arms, yeah, yeah. I just thought they were really bad designs. Yeah, like, I just didn't enjoy those at all. You just have the stupid sort of laugh, the oh, yeah. 
<laughs> they were just irritating. Yeah, they were. They, they weren't. They weren't good at, at all. You know, and the thing is, the only kind of really good antagonist in it, I think, is um, like um, Gigil. Mm. I think he was the only because he he had a a bit of an arc, didn't he? Um, yeah. You know. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just that reminder of. The fact that the villains of the show weren't as good as the Zentradi yeah. wasn't exactly a good point of encore either. Although I do like that episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think they're. I think that actually all three of them are actually quite good episodes in the right. I just think what they expand on, and you could like because mm. for me, it's almost like they actually now because of the way they're presented, they almost kind of sit as standalone stories mm. outside of the main. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Because... Oh, absolutely, and I totally get what you mean because they're a lot more enjoyable and a lot yeah. more sort of uh, focused. Yeah. Even though they do miss huge things out than the TV series, and I, and as a result, I did find them somewhat refreshing. Yeah. To watch after the TV show. Yeah, exactly. And and they are just because it does because they are just like single entities. They focus on a particular point rather than trying to mm. necessarily. Even though they do expand the main storyline, they don't have a necessarily have a place you know a, a, mm. a necessary position in the tv series so they um you know that you can just treat them as a as a standalone story which then actually yeah they're kind of like vignettes like yeah, exactly. short stories yeah. almost within the macro 7 universe or the or the whole macro universe it kind of reminds me of sometimes you get like comic series or manga where there's like a one-shot book that has you know short stories about the yeah, characters yeah. in it if you've read the main series, sort of furthers it in yeah, more exactly. meaningful ways. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, that that sort of thing, like a little anthology. Yeah, it, it, and they, they that's and I think that's how I see that, that they work and and actually kind of fundamentally mm. work a, a well because because of that. So um, they kind of complement the main series. They do. Actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have talked a lot about the characters, but I think there's probably a bit more to talk about with mm. it. So we'll we'll move Certainly, into yeah. talking to to. Uh, the characters. So, and if we did kind of look at Fire Bomber as a mm. as an act, um, you know, we've we've, we've yeah, said, sure. you know, Basra, <laughs> you know, is fundamentally, he's kind of like dislikable. It's just dislikable. He's, he's ever so entitled. Sorry, I should say he's he's fundamentally unlikable. Yeah. yeah, he's he's just an unlikable protagonist. Yeah, you know, he's very entitled, isn't he? Mm. Um, he's brash, selfish, yeah. arrogant, dismissive of other people's feelings. Yeah. Turns up when he wants to, but it's it's just not a likable character. No, and um, it's this whole like this bit. There's an early episode where he kind of gets into a fight um, outside a mm. concert or something. I think it's like around episode five or six or something. And um, the people that want to fight him, he wants to sing to them rather than mm. kind of get into yeah. into a fight with them. You know, and it's just like. Yeah, and it's just like, what a wally! <laughs> I know it's like, it's just such a, it's such a ridiculous situation. Yeah. I mean, it's like I know the focus of the show is he wants to use his music to kind of placate the enemy and breach an understanding with them, and that's you know that's fair enough. That's the kind of premise of like yeah. you know, Macross as a whole, but it's just such a ridiculous situation to then apply that to a kind of street brawl. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And you just like what a tit, basically. <laughs> but it's also the bit, you know. There's like there's um, an episode where uh, Ray adds these missile pods to his Valkyrie's legs, 
and he ends up firing like these missiles mm. and it's like a last yes. resort and he's like so upset about it and it's like you're in a you're in a battle and you and your mm. music thing isn't working you know <laughs> so you, you yeah. need to get you need to face up to the reality of the situation is that you're about to get blown out of the out of space blown up um yeah. you know and your only weapon <laughs> yeah, exactly. is to use these missile pods that raise you know sort of clandestinely like uh, installed on the pilfered for you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, if it wasn't for him, he's potentially, like, you know, going to lose his life. But he's really ungrateful and dickish about it. He's like, you know, oh, you, you, why did you put those on me, Craft? He's like, well, to save your life. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just so unappreciative about it. And it's like, I get that he knows that Bassare always wants a peaceful solution, but he's also trying to instill into him to a degree that's not always possible, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray... <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of a war here. Because <laughs> Ray is this kind of... <laughs> He's like this calming influence in yeah. Firebomber, isn't he? He's like the one that kind he's of the a, gel that kind keeps of a father figure. The, the, the band together, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He diffuses situations between uh, between Mylan and uh, Basra quite often. Because I get the impression like he's the he oldest, sort of steps in, and and I get that like, Vefidus mm. is quite mature. She's older than Basra and mm. and Meline as well. Um, you know, because she yeah. she she has this kind of no rage but she has this kind of more mature um air about, air about her. her doesn't she whereas yeah know, like Meline's just got quite an old head on young shoulders a lot of the the time mm. but you see I don't get like she's got all this privilege because she's Maximilia's youngest daughter um well I'm assuming mm-hmm. she's the seventh child so I'm assuming that that means she's like the youngest um I don't know if there's eight yeah, nine ten or so. eleven or whatever you know Poor Milia. Um <laughs> but um but she's she's got a license, she's got a, like a sports car and I mean it's just like it's just a yeah. little odd get up, you know, and she's got all this privilege yeah. and freedom that you know, you don't expect. She also a kind of has Michael's life at points. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like you know, the Michael the sort of mayor's Milia's assistant, you know, he's quite often she's quite often sort of nicking him to do like clandestine yeah. things and and you know, like sort of Making his life a bit of a living hell. Yeah. <laughs> but mind you, considering what we talked about before, uh, just desserts, considering he's such a pervert. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, there, there, it's a quite an interesting dynamic. And Meline, mm. I think her character and her frustration with like Basara, I think is really well portrayed. It's what the audience you know, should be feeling, really. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's what me and you were feeling in every episode. I yeah, think. exactly. And you know, and, and then Ray trying to like when she properly boils over, and Ray trying to like sort of placate her and calm her down and stuff. Mm. You know, it's like the the d- dynamic within Firebomber is is uh, is quite good. You know, I think that that portrayal is like yeah, I can I can imagine it to be you know like. I like a lot of bands actually yeah, are yeah, when there's tension yeah. and stuff, you know. There's there's somebody who's a mitigator, there's somebody who yeah. has to get in in between somebody so there's not a yeah. fight when egos get quite big, as they generally do in a lot of big rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> as you say, Maximilia, I think I think their story, like because they're at each other's throats a bit at the start, you know, mm. um, and you know, as superstars of the original. War with the Zentradi. Mm. Um, it's kind of like I, th- I think their portrayal is quite interesting because they're you'd almost expect them to have been on the first 
expedition, maybe mm. commanders of Macross yeah. um, one, you know, but they're mm. on seven, which kind of feels a long way down the, the pecking order a bit. So I wonder if they've perhaps had some sort of quite cushy sort of yeah. post military life for a while and then went back into service later, possibly kind of enjoying the celebrity stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I always get the impression that did their stars kind of dim a little bit, you know, mm. and and, I get that and maybe well. they became kind of almost forgotten relics from the originals in Tridy War, which is why they're off yeah. on Macross Seven and not, you know, kind of spear fronting. Because mm. I know they're commanding quite possibly. I know he's commander of Macross Seven, but you know, reflecting back, I saw. Top Gun Maverick the other week, um, and there's a there's a line in oh yes I need to get around to you know there's that. a line in that um, and again I don't kind of want to spoil it for people who maybe haven't seen it um, but there's a there's a bit <laughs> in there where someone says like that Maverick should be like a two star admiral by now and he isn't and I kind of mm-hmm. feel like Max is the type of person who should have been mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. of you know the Earth forces yeah. kind of thing or you know right on that mm-hmm. sort of board of you know admirals you get the impression that he should have been somewhere yeah. pretty high within the un by now i mean being being like not only an ace pilot but also the sort of figurehead of humans and trade relations having married Miller and sort of ushering in the kind of whole era of peace yeah thing, showing that they can coexist yeah. it's kind of like the two of them you do think that they would have been afforded some sort of better position than where they are in a strange yeah. way. So maybe, maybe one of the other spin-offs that I haven't seen sort of. Yeah, it just it does. There are there are some that I haven't it, seen. It does kind of feel. I do kind of get that impression. It, again, it's not in any way explained. So, like you say, maybe one of the bits that we haven't seen does explain that. But yeah, it's. Um, mm. I, I I thought they uh, thought they might have had, like I say, better positions um, in that, but. I quite like the way they worry as parents over Meline as well. Mm. You know, she's always causing yeah. them consternation and some yeah. sort of grief, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that's quite good about their relationship is that even when they're at each other's throats, and they're you know they're quite they don't get on particularly well at the beginning of the series. There's that sort of um, harmony yeah, yeah, of them as yeah. parents wanting the best for them, and you know mm. they they totally change tone when they start to speak about her. You know, they're like. You know they've got nothing but her best interests at heart, and they kind yeah. of they instantly sort of stop the bickering when it comes to her. Yeah, because she's the most important thing, and I think that's quite an accurate portrayal of some people who, you know, there are some people who just don't get on sort of post yeah. breakup and, you know, like um, are at each other's throats constantly. But I think there are some people who are more civil and just think, you know, the kid's going to come first, yeah. and and that there's two things that's quite a nice exploration of them yeah, as parents I do as, as well, well as characters. And um, also, I quite like the way that you can't take the fighter pilot out of them. You know, when it when it when mm. it comes to the crunch, they both kind of they can't leave the action behind, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, Millie is quite quick to jump back into yeah. the old Valkyrie in that episode I mentioned before, and there's there's a great scene where she just gets you know right back into uh, into it like she was in the original TV series. Yeah, and um, Max wants to lead from the front, doesn't he? You know, when when he sort of mm. uh, disengages Battle 7 and they fold out to the planet, you know, to go and kind of confront uh, Gepinich and, and stuff. Mm. You know, he, he's he's a soldier or pilot at heart, isn't he? And so he's he's still got to go out and yeah. he's not content to be sat back in the behind Absolutely. the front lines. I mean, he even says something 
along the lines of you know that he's quite sort of willing to die for his men. Really. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. Because there's there's a kind of worry that there's a worry that he won't come back, and he has a bit of a sort of discussion with um, yeah, Maria, doesn't he? Because she's she's basically you know make wanting to make sure that he comes yeah. back from it. And there's quite a nice kind of tender conversation that they have. Yeah. And um, obviously he does make it back by the end. I, I doubt they would ever sort of kill such a fan <laughs> favorite character. That is sort of you know he does go into that military mentality right away of that he's gonna not he's not gonna ask his men to do something that he wouldn't do. He's part of the mission for the yeah center. yeah. And then you've got you know you've got then like some of the peripheral characters that like Gamlin. Who, as we said, you know, he's, he's very stiff, um, and he butts heads with Basra mm. constantly at the mm. start. Understandably, understandably so, because so, <laughs> you know, as we said, like this this guy with a better Valkyrie than the Valkyrie he's got um, is out there getting in mm. his way. Um, but you know, over as time goes on, and he kinds of you know, and the whole music as a weapon thing develops, he kind of he starts to. Mm-hmm. He starts to change, doesn't he? And his attitude to Basra starts to yeah. change, which kind of shows him as being, you know, I, th- I think he's got lots of quite interesting development. And I think he, really out of all the characters, mm, even though he's, definitely. he's, you know, not a side character, but he's, you know, but he's kind of on the periphery of the, of the main. He's not, he's the, not protagonist. the main protagonist. Yeah, he's, um, he's kind of part of the expanded cast, um, yeah. I actually think he as a character has the most kind of development and growth through the series. Mm. Um, you know, he changes yeah, quite you, a bit. You would hope it would be Basara, no. but no. No, even, even <laughs> all the characters in Firebomber, I think tend to actually end the series kind of where they started a bit. Um, you know, they uh, do. Yeah. But, but get, maybe, maybe, but, maybe, uh, but Mealy, yeah, she, she grows. She, she might, she is the exception to that. But I suppose that's kind of a given since she's yeah. grown up anyway. She's she goes from like fourteen to yeah, like fifteen. Yeah, I think we, we definitely see so her fifteenth birthday, and I think we might see her sixteenth as well. You know, so she she goes through that that's right yeah. period of sort of maturity through her mid-teens sort of thing, which which mm. is quite well presented. But as a character, I think Gamelin is the genuine, you know, one that really mm. he's a really different person at the end of the series than yeah, he really is. And that's like you say that is quite well portrayed. I mean, he's um he's friends with Basara amazingly later on in the series because uh, I don't think I would be by that point. <laughs> <laughs> but his growth's probably the biggest evolution yeah. in the story as a whole, really, apart from finding out a little bit more about the protoculture. Yeah, and uh, which comes in really late. But we start to see his evolution quite early. Yeah, on, definitely. Yeah, he loses people. Yeah, you know, he he has, he has to experience. There's a quite affecting sort of moment where he has to tell a widow yeah. about his um, yeah. husband's death, who was a close colleague of his, and that's that's decently done. I think that's quite well handled. That episode, I was meant to talk about that in the main review. That that's your classic foretelling of this character's going to die, like Mecca character, isn't it? Because like mm. you know that that's yeah. classic victory Gundam. That is that mm. that episode because it's. Just media in general, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of movies where somebody's yeah. talking about the family and, you know, like that sort of thing. And they're a soldier or they're in some sort of conflict. You think, oh, shit. He's, he's not going to see the end of this here. episode. You know? <laughs> he's not going to, because he's talking about his son's, is it his yeah, son's something like that. He's got this little or his fo- music box. One of, or one of his son's early birthdays. 
That's right. And at the end of the episode, you see the debris and limbs of his Valkyrie floating in space and the remnants of this sort of battered music box. Playing. Which Gamelin actually yeah. retrieves. And it's playing it? in a vacuum. Or part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's playing music mm. in the vacuum of space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting physics, yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> actually, this. <laughs> We've talked about yeah. anime physics once before, and, and haven't we, in there? The, but you know, it's yeah. it's science fiction. If you start to delve into this stuff too much, you can get bugged down. And uh, yeah, because I think the whole <laughs> physics around the um, City Seven, because it doesn't appear like there's power blocks that come out of the the city, which means they must penetrate mm. some barrier. But they fly in and out of City Seven when the cap when the covers mm. up. The yeah. sort of biodome but, cover. So, so there's thing, like a yeah, biodome that cover up. that suggests that there's like a like a cover that's got some sort of protect like atmosphere or something like glass. Mm. But the um, Veruta Mecca fly in and out of it willy nilly like there's no barrier there. But it's like yeah. well, how's the how's the atmosphere? I, was, I thought yeah, I missed like, something there. I, I it when they first did it, I'm like, oh hang on, am I missing something here? Because there must be an at- something that protects the atmosphere because they all live within City 7. But they go in and out of it, mm. but they don't talk about it. Or re- I, I, I'm sure that's anime physics, as you just said. I think that's mm. just a convenience. Yeah. I thought I, I was thinking yeah. I was missing something or there was an oversight. Or it is. Yeah, I, I, it's it um, it's something that. that I was like, hang on, is that right? Because the top of the tower is outside of the... Like, <laughs> some of the skyscrapers are outside of that barrier as well. And it's like, well... That's exposed mm. to the vacuum of space as well. So unless it's like mega, it will just get. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you could go down a proper uh, rabbit hole with with some of that stuff. I think. Oh, you you really really <laughs> could. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> One thing I was going to mention as well is the the character of Docker is just such a reprehensible yeah. character. I mean, we we mentioned he's a bit of a mm. sort of perv, and he's after like yeah. My lane, but also later on in the series, he pretty much commits war crimes yeah. and there's no comeuppance for him. He is quite a despicable <laughs> cover. I mean, we'll not go into the lab, but he's he's just not a likable character at all. And he and I was kind of expecting, even though I have seen the series before, I couldn't remember much about whether there was any kind of yeah redemption for him. But no, he's yeah, just a no, good he is. He's, he's terrible. He's really bad, <laughs> and he's always like hitting on some of the other female. Like sound force kind of mm. pilots and stuff, isn't he? I mean, he's just yeah, he's he also sort of he's a properly much... uh, despicable character. Yeah, he, he really is. And, he, and there's one point where he pretty much sets yeah. himself up on a date with Mylene without her agreement, and just decides he's going to go on this date and he's going to go and pick her up and everything. And it's like, well, yeah, because he's kind of like that. he is the most problematic yeah. Me Too <laughs> poster boy, isn't he? He's like because he's. Because he's kind of says and he goes, oh, you haven't said, you haven't replied and said no, so I, I take that then that you mean yes, you know, and it's just like, I mean, it's literally that's what he <laughs> says to her, isn't hell. it? You know, so it's like, it's like, what does, yeah, it's like, it is, no, yeah. that's that's not how it works. I mean, he is he is an awful, awful character. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> it's just the worst. At least he, at least he's not an awful character. No. It's painted to be, you know, it's. In any sort of way, anything else, he is problematic. Yeah, Everyone yeah, dislikes yeah. him. Gamelin dislikes him. You know, it's it's just sort it's of just, presented it's just a that shame way, that so he's an ace pilot. At least isn't it? That, I guess. 
Yeah, exactly, when a lot of the other ones tend yeah. to be somewhat cool characters. I mean, in the original series, I do feel like Max doesn't really do a lot apart from be the his pilot. He doesn't, they didn't no. give him a lot of personality until yeah. Nidia came along, I felt. But he's still somewhat of a sort of, you know, mm. likeable character, um, even though he he off, he had a bit of a uh, pervy <laughs> backstory as well. I think that's... <laughs> Checking out yeah, uh, yeah, Nimbus exactly. measurements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In that infamous scene. <laughs> I think Exodol, I think, is portrayed quite interestingly because I think he's like Yes. Um he's almost where he was he's he's almost like he's completely mellowed out as a as a character, isn't yeah. he? Compared to where yeah. He's so stoic, isn't he? Like you know, a lot of the comedy yeah. comes from him being yeah. a sort of straight man. And sort of telling things like they are. I mean, there's there's just so many scenes where something yeah. sort of dramatic happens, and he just says something quite dry. Yeah. In his exact, it is in it, without yeah, moving yeah. in tone whatsoever. He's, he's he delivers every line the same because he's just so sort of yeah. chilled and nonchalant yeah. about everything. And that's what makes him funny because he's just like he's like the sort of really dry friend that you've got who would just comment like a you know on something that had just happened with. With a lot of like yeah. brevity, but a lot of wit. Yeah, and like when he's cowering, <laughs> when they talk about the proto Devlin and stuff, the way he does actually like, oh, proto Devlin, you know, you know that's that's quite yeah. funny. Because uh... I mean, it's more it's more human um, sort of appearance in the TV series. There was a yeah. lot of comedy with that, you know, like the bit where he sings yeah, my boyfriend yeah. as a pilot and that sort of stuff. But it's a different yeah. type of comedy. In this, it's it's the fact that he is just so sort of. Yeah. completely stoic but when he says something it's quite often sort of humorous yeah. because of his yeah. interjections on commentary on what's happening i mean i think there's one point where he's where they're talking about the um going back to the fact that there's quite a lot of uh yeah. sort of lechery in this show there's there's quite, there's this moment where they're talking about the sort of talent contest and he, and he sort of accidentally reveals yeah, one that's of his right. preferences yes. for one of the yes. uh, female sort of hosts and people are like yeah. really kind of raising eyebrows about it and he's then he but then he just yeah. goes back to his normal stoic self as if nothing was said you know yeah and i did like the <laughs> the, the bit with him is when they're like carrying him to the the ruins on Lux, and he's in that big like mm. cage, and there's two like transport things bringing mm. him out. That you know, and it's just like you can imagine him kind of sat there going, "Hmm, this is really, really undignified." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is, like, I feel like his whole role in the series, yeah. you know, sitting in that tiny little space <laughs> with his head sticking out of this little compartment with a with some sort of thing above him. I don't know what that ex- exactly yeah. that, that is supposed to do, but. It seems to be something to kind of um, help him in some way, but yeah, it's it's just the fact that he is kind of always in the background and he's kind of yeah. almost stuck in that seat there with Max is just kind of funny because of its because it looks really cramped and sort of uncomfortable. That always just gave yeah, me a sort yeah, of sense absolutely. of comedy, which really made us chuckle. <laughs> the um, and then I think you know the the antagonist. Gepelnitch um, and Gigil, alongside um, Gamlin, I think they, especially uh, Gigil, I think has quite a lot of development as he changes mm. a lot as a character, doesn't he? You know, yeah, he does. Yeah, he really does because he he spends like a lot of the sort of episodes where Sybil's yeah. in that kind of sleep or stasis sort of thing, um, hibernation, whatever you want to call it. Like um, he spends a lot of them being yeah. quite jealous of Bassera and. 
and one kind of essentially wants to be the yeah. one to sort of bring her around and wake her up, doesn't he? And although that arc does get very tiresome, um, we do see a bit of growth towards the end of that, and him becoming more accepting of Basra, and he even sort of sings yeah. in a key scene, doesn't he? When he when Basra's song sort of gets through to him, he starts to sing yeah. that "Power to the Dream" song, which I have to say isn't yeah. is probably the worst song in the series. Considering that's the sort of, you know, the penultimate kind of big song that kicks a lot of things off. Every time that's on screen, I'm just like, oh, God. I think, yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's almost so like he doesn't believe in the, the mission sometimes, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like... Mm. To me, like, he's, it's civil is yeah. like, it's kind of Achilles' heel because because civil is part is not part of Gatmonich's plan. And Gatmonich actually says something along the lines of he doesn't want her involved with the whole spiritual farm plan. Um, it's almost like that rubs up Giggle the wrong way because he's kind of in love with her. Yeah. And he's kind of obsessed yeah. with her. And so I think that kind of creates a wedge yeah, between him exactly. and Yeah, exactly. And he's more focused on, you know, he is this kind of commander within Gatmonich's forces, you know, and he's he's the uh, the spearhead and the lance on, on the armed, you know, Gepelnitsch's armed forces. Um, at the end of the day, like you say, he's just, he's worried about civil rather than anything else. Um, mm. And like I say, the way that jealousy, yeah. that's what he that's cares about. He cares like I say, about that jealousy he has of Basra and the relationship and how things develop between Basra and civil. Uh, that, that he, he generally gets jealous and how that's portrayed and how he kind of changes his attitude to warfare and the fight in and everything towards the end is mm-hmm. like really interesting. You know, it's, um, you know, that, mm. oh. it sort of recalls a little bit of what we're talking about with Jig with that yes. uh, female character yeah. who's the lieutenant who yeah. ends up sort of questioning, you know, questioning whether she's doing the right thing or her, not. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, boss and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And, and he, and he, goes through that, similar, he goes through that same um, arc. Yeah. It's again, I don't kind of want to spoil it, but when you find out about Gepelnitz's character, and kind of what mm-hmm. he really is, um, you know, because I think yeah. initially, I think you're meant to think he's a, a woman, and then you kind of find out that it's a man, yes. you know, and, and there's loads Very of things, so. kind of quite interesting, and actually what that character is at the end, and how that plays into the into the finale, mm-hmm. I think is quite interesting, because I think there's, there's, there's little bits that, yeah. that feed along. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's, I think that is part of the intention, and Interestingly, though, on the uh, subtitles we watched, it does actually say in an early episode, by yeah. the way, this character's male. <laughs> as as indicated in episode yeah. such and such, and it kind of mentions that yeah. early on, which I thought was quite funny. I remembered that from the original series, but it's kind of funny that if you watch the particular yeah. sort of fan sub, that it had some sort of translation. Because I can remember it. watching it, thinking in it was... <laughs> Spoilers. ...when it was a woman until it's you know revealed a bit later. And you're like, oh, right, Yeah, okay. I thought... I thought that he, because it's yeah, it's there's everything yeah. about his appearance suggests, and yeah, you know yeah. the way he sounds and everything suggests that it's this kind of yeah. cause he's got really long blonde got very hair feminine, and very feminine features, yeah, sort yeah. of look. So so it's um mm. yeah that was yeah that was quite interesting. So I I think they make they're quite an interesting pair. I think Gepelnitch and mm. and Giggle. Um Gavil I found quite annoying. I find him extremely annoying. In fact, they seem to like have yeah. given him no personality whatsoever. 
it basically there's like a running sort of thing where he where he talks about the beauty yeah. of insert whatever whatever yeah. thing that yeah. is going on in the episode here. Yeah, and that's his personality. Yeah, and it just gets old really fast because like. You know, he destroys like a sort of building or something. It'd be like the beauty of annihilation, or somebody betrays somebody. Yeah. Is like the beauty of betrayal, and it's just it, that's in place of his personality. And it's just like it's not funny. It's not particularly interesting. Yeah, that's his whole character, and it just grates. And he he sort of looks like some sort of weird kind yeah. of birdman, like with sort of feathery. His design is just awful. I really dislike the way he looks and his character as well. Because there's one episode the in particular where he literally, <laughs> like, during the battle, he just goes, the beauty of this, the beauty of that, the beauty of something else, the beauty of the other thing. Mm. And, like, just repeatedly. And it and, and it's just, like, just and want to throttle him at that it's point. Just cause tedious. It's just He's so annoying. Yeah, I'm totally with you. He's, he's yeah. one of the most annoying characters I have ever encountered in any series. I'd go so far as to say he's more annoying than Kaifun yeah. in the original Macros. <laughs> Which is saying something. Because, I mean, well, that's the thing is, like, the Kaifun's a character that I actually actively hate because of his personality. Whereas yeah. Gabble is just a non character. Yeah. So I guess you, you probably shouldn't compare the two, but yeah. It's, and what uh, you find out totally is that actually rigid. him and he has this, like, proto. Like, he's kind of like two parts of the same. Proto Devlin, you think yeah, they're separate? Don't you think you, they're but two different, two different Proto Devlin because yeah. they've got similar names. And there's yeah, Gabble and uh, yeah. Grabble. So you think they're separate, but actually they're the same. Yeah. And designs of it aren't all that. It's just a weak character. Well. I wasn't overly taken mm. with that. So um. no, I think the Valgos is probably the only design that is somewhat cool in my opinion yeah. of the uh, Proto Devlin. He's the kind of more sort of sleek, sort of skinny looking one with a. He's got quite an evil-looking sort of head, but he's... I don't know, like, all the other ones just don't do it for me. They just look like sort of, I don't know, rejects from a totally different series. They don't really... I like the fact that Macross has had this kind of history of yeah. more humanoid sort of characters. And, I don't know, just having these strange sort of monster things just doesn't necessarily... Yeah, because the two, what are they called? Um, Goram and Zomd. They were, like, yeah, yeah, like, dreadful designs. And, like, they were annoying as well. Yeah. The, the ones yeah, that appear yeah. towards the end, yeah, because um, they're they're the ones that I was I was yeah. talking about before. I have yeah. lots of arms and do the silly yeah. sort of like all that bit of it. That I think it was just like you know as a <laughs> antagonist, I thought they were they were dreadful really. So because um, they're kind yes, of like the yeah. penultimate, yeah, tenchmen of like Gabonich. They're kind of like the penultimate proto Devlin. The the sort of big guns that they bring yeah. out, and they are incredibly powerful. But they're just again non-characters. Because like at that Gabble, point, all of the proto Devlin have been awoken, <laughs> haven't they? And they're all they're all there facing off against the the yeah, there's, fleet. There's a little bit throughout the series of the fact that they haven't. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a little bit throughout the series about the fact yeah. that they haven't seen all of yeah. them yet, and they know how many there are. And towards the end, there's a couple he... more revealed, but unfortunately, that reveal <laughs> no, isn't exactly no. inspiring. So I think that probably covers everything in the characters. So we'll kind of have a look at the, some of the production side of it now. And mm. um, I think it's worth sort of stating at this point that we watched a Blu-ray rip of Macross 7 here um, rather than like a, a DVD rip. So I, I originally saw a, a DVD rip of this back when I first watched it. You know, I have to say, like, on on the whole, it's pretty well animated. 
yeah, it's a very it's vibrant a sure, like, yeah. visuals and artwork on it. And I think Blu-ray, like it often does with mm-hmm. with some of this um, sort of older sort of cell painted animation, kind of really makes it pop. It really does. I mean, it, the, you can't really fault much about its production because it's it's pretty beautiful consistently. I mean, we mentioned that the action yeah. could be better in places. And it's definitely not up to... I wouldn't say it's up to the normal macro standard. But there's not that no. much reuse of animation. Like, there's a couple of character mm. bits of people playing instruments and Basara, like, sort of uh, doing a kind of big sort of shout in, when he starts a song and that. But there's... But really, it's yeah. the sort of stuff yeah. you'd expect in a mega show to be reused. Yeah, exactly. You know, the transformations and docking of, like, equipment and yeah. things like that. When they send out the sound pods... They connect with them and they do a kind yeah. of almost super robot-esque pose. And so all that stuff's really good. I mean, we talked about the Battle yeah. 7 and City 7 being really well realised. You know, they've thought of everything about how they yeah. travel between all the different areas and things like that. And and everything just looks good. I mean, the characters look good. It just falls down a little bit on yeah, the... Yeah, because I'm a big fan of that kind places. of early 90s look. Um, you know, I, I, it's like a, mm. there's a particular yeah. period of like how characters were designed and how things were painted and stuff that just like really, really appeals to me. Same here. I I adore the way it looks. There's just some things about yeah. it. I mean, that is one of its big saving graces for me. It's even when the show was quite dull. Yeah, I was appreciating. There's a the sequence when Diamond Force take off and they kind of come out and they angle and then take off and like it's bits like that and. Some of the, like you say, the detail in in the city. There's some like really detailed, like shots, um, which again Blu-ray kind mm. of really, you know, elevates and and really kind of does justice to. Mm. Yeah, that sort of attack new detail that we talked about. And there's about lots of nice, episodes, like the yeah. flying microphones, um, you know, that hover in front of them. There's lots of like quite nice little details mm. all the way through it. Like that. To be mm-hmm. honest, I think the the um, guitars and controls are really stupid, but even that, even but it's mm. well painted. It you know, the way dumb, it's but... displayed, you know, Zephyr does drumming. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of movement in there, and it's actually quite mm-hmm. realistic, and you know, mm. yeah, there's quite there's some really yeah. good bits where Mylene's playing guitar, and the way she sort of like leans yeah. in and does like sort of very small movements. With the body really does look like somebody playing a guitar at a concert, and it's it's quite well animated and it's quite well realized. I get yeah, a feeling that they probably did a bit of research and yeah, looked de- at some footage and things and had yeah, some definitely had some sort of model. That, that is, that is really evident that they've done that. On things, yeah. As like you know, to your point about you know during the concerts, there are camera pans and stuff and angles which are like they've definitely watched a music mm-hmm. video and are are referencing that that clip mm. or you know that sort of second mm. of video to to, to sure. get that movement sort of thing so absolutely i mean even the yeah. lighting there's bits where the lighting looks quite realistic you know even in the opening there's a bit where basra's face is like sort of highlighted yeah. by like red light and he's kind of like singing his heart out and it's it looks quite realistic in a strange way like it's it's stylish it's stylized but it has yeah. a, a sort of real world feel to it and even the opening, like, you know, the opening mm. shows you loads of Battle in City 7 and, it, and like, how well realised it is. There's a mm. zoom out shot from the kind of biome thing at the beginning that shows you a lot of the... Yeah, and that's an interesting bit because there's, incredible. like, th- there's some obvious CG in that opening bit um, because, you know, mm. mm-hmm. Kawamori was using CG in, 
in Macros Plus that we we've talked about a lot um, in in that mm. review. Um, and you know, you can see especially in that opening credit and and even little bits through the TV series. There's little bits of CG in there which are I think they're quite obvious when they're there, but actually have aged reasonably well. Like the you know, like the um, remarkably like the, well, ma- I would the uh, Macros yeah. Plus CG. It doesn't look janky and really dated it's uh yeah it's because it's sort of used subtly we talked about this and you know in a lot of depth in the macros mm. plus review that the fold sequence in macros plus was the only place that they used it like massively yeah. besides that it was the sharon apple commercials and things like that and um you know there's a there's a bit where you see a completely cg valkyrie in the yeah. opening during the seventh moon song and um that looks very macros plus but it's it's almost like it's done just yeah. for the opening. You never see a CG Valkyrie that looks like that. It looks kind of cool in the opening, yeah. but if they'd used that no. as the ordinary Valkyries, it wouldn't have looked right. But they use it in the right yeah. way. They use it for a stylistic sort of expression rather than it yeah. being no, absolutely. how so, they look in general. Yeah, I think it like on that production side, they obviously did really put a lot of effort into it. I think, I think some of the detail towards the end... Um, I think there are some scenes in the in the like maybe the last ten episodes where you can see they've they've maybe cut down on the frame rate and the cell count a little bit. Um, but generally, mm. I think it is a a very very good um, looking uh, show. And and you know and complementing it, I think is some are some really nice mecha designs as well. Mm, definitely, yeah. Very much so. I mean, this. I mean, I know we've, we've given it a thorough kicking in many ways, but the designs are beautiful. I mean, everything mechanical in the show, the Valkyries and everything that you see, yeah. is just really well realised. I really like Gamlin's. Um, is it the VF one seven S? Yeah, that's it, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has like he has like um, it goes through. I think he gets like a sort of revised version later on that has some sort of shoulder, yeah, uh, missiles or something like that. But um, that's very sleek and sort of cool looking. Yeah, it's, it's all black. It is, yeah, yeah. And they do this thing in a lot of the fights where I mentioned that there's some sort of super robot-esque posing from Sound Force when they get the boosters, but it does this thing with Gamlin where he cocks his gun in a really dramatic fashion before firing. <laughs> yeah. And it uses that quite a lot. And that looks quite cool, actually, even though it is you know something you see quite often and it's like a reused bit of animation. I like that. Because it just accentuates how cool the design of the actual yeah. Valkyrie is I, I did like it and, and Basser is as well yeah so Basser's VF-19 is is via his fire Valkyrie I think is mm-hmm. a really neat design I like the colour scheme on it and mm-hmm. you know the face and, and everything it's just it uh, is very it's elegant and really it's like elegant, it's got like really kind of warm colours to it like a sort yeah. of orangey sort of red yeah and it has a it has a face that's unlike a lot of the other Valkyries it looks mm. it's because it has a mouth plate and it has an actual mouth it kind of recalls a little bit of the old Super Robot design. It so. does, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It definitely got that, and 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 that I feel feels like a bit of a departure to mm, for, for Macross so. compared to all, all the other stuff that's that's gone on. And like I say, it does kind of give that nod back to the to the mm. Super Robot stuff, and <laughs> and almost you know when you look at um, you know stuff that was um, you know, the OVAs through the late eighties you know, Dangayo and, and everything, you know, and, and some of the stuff that all had mouths, you know, it is kind of, it almost feels like it kind of went out of fashion a bit and then came 
back in fashion again. Mm. And you do you did get a lot of OVAs that seemed to be made by kind of, you know, real fanboys who really yeah. wanted to do something that was like Super Robot times 10. Yeah. You know, things like Dan Gaio and even like much later, like things like, you know, Guren Lagan and things yeah, like that. Yeah, even like, yeah, through the Brave series and The, and the Brave series, like, absolutely. Like it know. did come back into fashion and it was one of those things that like, having the sort of sentient robots became a big thing as well. You know, like yeah. the Brave and... Braves sort of taken up, you know, like the sort of transformer esque sort of yes, thing. Yes, yeah. So, um, so that, yeah. So I think you know that what was quite interesting. I know you you mentioned there, you know, like gambling got a bit, but there was no real mid series upgrade. Um, I know you could almost call the music pods and stuff, the sound mm. blaster stuff, as as kind of weapons. But you know, it was interesting that there was no big like new introduction of like new no. mecha. No, it. it's it's all weapons, really, isn't it? Yeah. And I and I don't even know if that uh, upgrade for uh, Gamlin is a new Valkyrie. I think it's just. I think it is. You get no, some sort of shoulder. It is. I, it's point. not a new Valkyrie. It's just a, like yeah. a weapons upgrade. And I think mm. for a forty nine t for a forty nine episode TV series, it feels quite odd not to have got mm. into the last twenty episodes without a new Mecha mm. being introduced. All new Mecha because I know. Yeah. I know we got. Um, you know the Valkyries for Ray and um, Meline as well, which were mm-hmm. I thought were very nice looking designs as well. Yeah, they're, definitely. They're yeah, really effective. So, but yeah, there's no. Yeah, I thought that was quite um, quite unusual that like given that period where it was really really commonplace, mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things. I'm not sure whether it's quite refreshing that they didn't have a mid series upgrade or or disappointment or a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. can't. I'm not sure how I feel about I'm, it. To I'm be sort of conflicted on that as well. The original Macross was a bit weird in the way it handled such things because they never really did a great deal with the armored Valkyries until like there was one episode that sort of featured them prominently. Yeah. And then do you remember Love sort of used them a bit more? You know, the original series did have a bit of a sort of strange thing, strange relationship with how it portrayed its mega as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because um... I mean, the thing is, it's so it's such an expansive universe now. There's so many things outside of the, you know, there's been so many add-ons and spin-offs and things. Yeah. And I and I don't think that Macross Seven does a particularly good job of underlining a lot of the mechas' names. You know, like the the Basser is it mentions on several occasions, but a lot of the other ones it doesn't really specify the names of them quite often. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Macross I think is kind does feel kind of unique in that respect. Um, that it it doesn't necessarily mm. like rely on the the whole upgrade bit of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's other shows that that do it as well. It's not unique to Macross, but I do think it's kind of their thing that um, they don't need to keep introducing mm. new Mecha into the into the series. Sure. Yeah. 
Right, so let's um, wrap up the review and get into our final thoughts. So um, I think we've talked a lot about this. So let's <laughs> let's start with our ratings and then kind of, uh, you know, our justification for our yeah. rating. So I'm very interested to know what you would rate this out of 10. Uh, you know, it's difficult because the thing is, is with, with my love being what it is for the original Macross and the way it furthers things from that, like... <laughs> I want to sort of give it a higher rating, but ju- I can't really justify it because some so much of it is a slog. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have to say it's a five out of ten for the TV series for me. Yeah. So I mean, I I've given the TV series four in my wow. rating. Yeah. Right, I mean, yeah. for me, I, there's just I don't more... disagree with you though. It's like <laughs> you know, it's some of it is a real slog. Yeah, I think fundamentally. When I was rewatching it, the fact that I like I put it down for two weeks because I was that bored of it That's and went watch something else. Indictment, you know, especially you for know. us who can get yeah. quite passionate about these shows. Yeah, exactly. for all the flaws. I mean, there's there's I've talked a lot about the original Macross having a lot of flaws, but I still love it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember watching it, and I can remember like how I felt like quite quickly. Mm. When I first watched it, yeah, the memories and came watch... flooding back. <laughs> yeah, and and it's exactly that, Craig. You know, mm. the, the yeah. first I remember sitting there and like that first episode, I got that feeling, and then within like three or four episodes, I was exactly was like, like I didn't like the characters. It was already like I felt it was plodding on. It wasn't very exciting because I can remember mm. when I watched this originally, there was like you know it was in that period where I was watching loads and loads of. Mecca. Yeah, yeah. I was watching loads of stuff raw and getting uh, loads of fan subs, getting all the stuff from Hong Kong, you know, badly subbed as it was, <laughs> but it was still enabling you to watch it. Yeah. And then there was this and I was watch I'd watched loads of good stuff. So I think at the time, you know, I'd even I think I watched this after watching like Platinum Hugin Audion and stuff, mm-hmm. which I I know has its detractors, but I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was getting into this and it's like I'd watched so much good Mecca mm-hmm. in the previous few years and around that time then I watched this which like <laughs> I, I say really didn't like the character and just bored me um, yeah. and it was just exactly the same and it just got to that point where you know I was almost like oh life's too short to, to just well I felt that this. way a lot of times while watching this and that's coming from somebody who really loves the original show and there were times when Every time Bassera sang No More Wasting Time, I was just like, exactly, get yeah. on with it, you know. <laughs> and and I'll, it, during the the uh, next episode preview and our last episode, when we talked about the fact that we were talking this, I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> yeah. And and that sort of laugh was the kind of expectation of like, well, I hope I enjoy it more this time. Because the thing, I was actually kind of looking forward to revisiting it. In a strange way, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it'll I know be, what you mean. like Macross Two. It'll be quite different to what I'm expecting because yeah. we talked about the fact that we both enjoyed Macross Two more than yeah. we thought we would uh, after revisiting it after an age. Uh, what what seems like an age anyway, and I was hoping I would have the same thing about this. I mm. knew it still wasted a lot of time in its plot, and I knew that was going to test my patience. But I was hoping to come away with it with for a better appreciation of it because it does have a lot of fans. It has a pretty rabid fan base in places, actually. Yeah, yeah. But it does get very, very mixed reviews. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely got its um, 
it's definitely got its detractors, but I think that you know there there is quite a passionate fan base out there for it as well. There is. There so is. I'm sorry if we've disappointed a lot of people here, but a lot of it really is hard to get through. I think it's a very love or hate show. I think mm. I think it's you know its distribution of of fans is very bimodal. I think you either love it or you hate it. Mm. Um, what I think is quite interesting now, and again compared to like when I was kind of in that period, like 15 years ago. I think I definitely heard more positive voices for it. I mm. think the general feeling, it, it was Macro 7, it was amazing. You know, it's Carol Mori and all the rest of it. I think now I I hear more negative voices mm. for it, like 15 years later, mm. you know, a decade on, say, than, than I did back in the 2000s. I've heard yeah. more negative things about it recently. I've seen a couple of threads on, on Twitter and things and... Uh, people talk about quite negatively but yeah it's it is a very i can understand why it's such a marmite show yeah it's it definitely does divide opinion and it's 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 not it's completely obvious why and for all those little things that i really like about it the way that furthers the original it just it needs to have its own identity and its own it needs to just not waste so much damn time with its storytelling yeah. and like test your patience because I mean, there was there was times I wasn't watching anything else for the most part while I watched this. I watched a couple of OVAs and things. Um, I watched actually no, I watched Evangelion uh, before you, when that new Blu-ray came out, uh, but it was a little bit before you did. I think I'd only yeah. just started Macro Seven at the time, and I watched a couple of OVAs and things, but in a few movies. But I didn't watch any like ongoing TV shows, and I haven't watched anything airing. But there were so many times I just thought, oh, you know what? I just really feel like starting a new series just to kind of like clear the palate, if you like. Yeah, you know, sort yeah. of wash the taste away. Uh, that, and I feel awful saying that because I love so much of the other previous shows, but damn, some of it's boring. Yeah, there's a lot that I agree with you there. You know, that's essentially what I had to do. I had to go and like cleanse my palate a bit. But like you, I'd, I'd come into it very objectively because. Mm. You know, as as you said, we had both of us had very different views of Macross Two, and I, you know, if you listen back to the review, you'll hear that we both kind of really disliked it, having watched it years ago, and then have gone into mm. it and rewatched it, and gone, actually, it's actually right. So I went into it objectively yeah. with like mm-hmm. may, maybe maybe fifteen hopes, years on, maybe I'll be, <laughs> you know, I'll I'll see it in a different pair of eyes and and all the rest mm. of it. But no, 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 I was. Um, very you like literally impressed. within the first episode, I was like, "Oh no, I am not going to enjoy watching this." It brought back and all the same feelings. Yeah, I mean, I think to get back to that point, I you know, I, I sort of I, I did feel those memories coming back, but I also sort of thought, well, you know, I'm older, I've got a bit more you know patience yeah. now, I'm probably a bit less sort of um, you know quick to sort of uh, judge things. Uh, let's see how it goes, but yeah, by the time we hit about episode five or something, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I say the first. I remember uh, these feelings. Yeah, you know, I say the first one, and as I said previously, but you know, by the time I got to about episode three or four, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy watching this again. Um, and before it got to the sort of good point of the twenties, when there was a couple of good episodes, there was points where I didn't watch any for days, and I was like, oh god, I've got to go back and watch. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So and then encore. I mean, I give that a six. Um, I think strangely it, enough, that's my rating for it as well as six. 
I think it's you know it's still got some of the same detestable characters and all the rest of it. Yes. But I think as you know, as we said in the, as we kind of talked about it in detail, because it kind of almost feels like a series of standalone episodes with a bit more focus. Mm. It just works a bit better for me. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that to what elevates it a little bit for me is not only that, but the fact that there's one episode of it that I really love, which is mm. the Zentradi Rebels. Yeah, one. yeah. That is that is a great. That is a really good show. episode. Yeah, and it just brings back a lot of feelings of why I really like the original. And yeah, but I, again, that. like that is a double-edged sword because it yeah. makes us think. Yeah, it also reminds us of how much I hate the Proto Devlin as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, overall though, I do enjoy it, and I think while it does share some of the same faults, it's quite an entertaining watch that I could watch on its own. Yeah. Um, if I was kind of in a bit of a macrossy mood for a bit of a sort of flavour of Macross Seven and the original TV show, it sort of would it would scratch that itch. Yeah, definitely, definitely, um, yeah, it definitely works better like that. So, mm. I think that's fair representation of the mm. encore compared to the TV series. So, I'd uh, say so. Yeah, excellent. So that brings us to the uh, end of the third part of our Macross retrospective. Like I say, the fourth and final part will be in maybe three or four episodes time where we'll do the remaining sort of sections of Macross 7. So for next time, we'll, we're will we going to do the first part of our next retrospective, which is going to be a two-parter on Dan Cougar. So we'll do the TV series and Requiem for Victims in the first part, and then we'll do the other OVAs and Nova in the second part of that. And then after that, we'll go back to the 70s and, and mm-hmm. do something from the golden age of super robots. Um, cool. I am really looking forward to the Dan Cougar episode. Yeah, yeah. So that one, I think it's going to be the, you know, the complete diametric opposite of this episode where it'll be something yeah. that, um, that we're looking forward to uh, doing. And again, Absolutely. Dan Cougar's like, you know, kind of, it's a bit of an enigma, um, mm. you know, and we, I know part of this was to talk about some of the uh, lesser known stuff, which we have done, but I think, Dan Cougar is just, yeah, it's a very enigmatic series um, with quite mm. a lot of history and stuff. So I think it's, it's yeah. something that well, I think it's worth talking about. So um, Definitely. I think it blurs genres a little bit. It does. Kind of it, like, it really does. And that's, that's going to make for some interesting um, yeah. talking points, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, it's um, that one. Yeah, I am quite keen to talk about. So cool. that's what we're doing next time. So where to find us? You can find the podcast. Uh, we're hosted on SoundCloud, but you can find us on basically any podcast hosting service. Just search for Retro Mecca Podcast. Find our Twitter page at Retro Mecca. Find our blog, retromechapodcast.wordpress.com, where we post some other mecha-related articles and toy articles and Gunpla and, and that kind of stuff. Um, Occasionally some game reviews. And, and things game reviews. So um, all the stuff that isn't kind of on like the pure anime related that we do in the podcast, we, we cover all that stuff on the blog. So, um, mm-hmm. Craig, tell us where to find your blog. Um, you can find my blog, um, Anime Heads uh, Retro Worlds, um, at wordpress.com. And on Twitter, I am at Anime Heads Retro. And you can find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast, at Retro Anime, and at all the same hosting services as this podcast, to so search for Retro Anime Podcast. Right. Basically, every every host and server is not a man. Yeah, yeah. Literally, <laughs> it's it's amazing how these these things have picked up the RSS feeds off uh, <laughs> off of SoundCloud and and like without doing anything, you can just go and find it anywhere. So, uh, 
But yeah, we are on all the major ones, Apple, Spotify as well, uh, Amazon. So yeah, there's there's no excuse not to uh, find and listen to this podcast. So, uh... <laughs> right. So that bring, that does truly bring us to the end of the uh, to the episode. So yeah, really good discussion that Craig. Mm. Uh, like I say, yeah, was, I feel like I've exercised a few demons. Yeah, there. absolutely. I I completely. It's agree it's with kind you. of like having a really good rant. I can go about <laughs> my day and have a really good day now. So thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. You know, it was. I've blown off some steam. Yeah, it was like <laughs> I completely agree. It was like I'm going to build up to this. I'm going to get all this off my chest. I'm going to have my say about Macro <laughs> Seven, and I've had my say about it. And then I never have to watch it again because it's on the podcast for all of uh, prosperity. <laughs> yeah, and the next time you sort of feel a bit curious as the way you, the way you might feel again, just go back and listen to this instead. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm I'm sort of holding out a small bit of hope that, like Encore, some of the other extensions that I haven't seen, yeah, will be a little bit better and more self-contained. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm completely with you on that one, Craig. I'm completely with you. Cool. Right. And on that note, we shall say goodbye. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye everybody. The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.